from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics coming to you live from the Wharton School, Huntsman Hall, the Sirius XM Business Radio Studio, looking on to beautiful Locust Walk here on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania on a typical gray, coldish, ain't it spring yet kind of March morning. Cade Massey hosting this morning with my buddies, Adi Weiner, Shane Jensen. Adi, Shane, good morning to you. Morning. Good How's morning, it going? Cade. Doing yeah. real fine. Doing real fine, guys. Good to see you. We're going to be here for the next two hours. We're always here for the first two hours of the day, 8 to 10 Eastern, talking sports analytics. You can join the conversation. Give us a ring. Here's the number. Get ready. Write it down. Here's the number. one eight four four wharton one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six. You can also email us. Email is businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Great way to catch us, especially if you catch us on one of the replays. We're replayed five times over the course of the next week. But we also take them live. We have been known to read and respond to emails live because Matt Johnson dutifully sitting over there, not just by the phone, but also by the email. Lines. Oh, he's on point, man. Always on point. Always on point. If not for him, God knows what would happen. <laughs> it would be a lot of dead air people. <laughs> um, guys, <laughs> it's an interesting time of year, I would say, in the world of sports. I'm, and generally, I'm you know, a fall guy. It? I prefer is the it? fall. I prefer the fall. I admit it. What, what time of year is not interesting? There is like a stretch in July that usually is pretty lame. I think we just got through the worst part. I think so, too, actually. Right, because, I mean, like, after the Super Bowl, there's this, like, pause before March Madness. And then you have to try and get excited for, like, the NHL and NBA regular seasons, and nobody, they don't matter. That's true. They don't matter. You haven't been paying attention, and it's not yet no, to the postseason. No, man, you just, you're, just, you're just killing time until March. Okay. And for our listeners, so who, don't, came out of the for our listeners who don't quite know what we're talking about here, the hockey and, and basketball have the longest seasons relative to the length, the size of their playoffs and the time don't that you need to Don't treat our listeners like they're children. They don't, know about, not, they don't know about I'm just saying. You're listening to the Sports Analytics Show, and you don't know about maybe basketball. Maybe the first time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we, yeah. we, we kick back right? and explain some of the things that are old hat for us first time listener long time a long time listener first time caller what's basketball <laughs> shane, shane shane you're going too far here i think i think right. i'm not all insulting right. our listeners. the feelings meter the feelings meter is going up over here <laughs> no but all right it, it, okay, i, I think, mean you're right you're right it's, i think it's we've, the just, worst time. we've declared and got consensus quickly that february ish february might be the worst month on the calendar for sports Late February, yeah. I mean, just because no, we months, we got to which month? We've, we, February. We, well, yeah, because the Super Bowl bleeds into February. I mean, why can we after not do the a Super month Bowl? Long, does it actually have to be a can yeah, it not be we, a month we, long? We span? reason by categories like the rest of the human race for oh. better. For oh, better now, you, or worse. now you're coming at me. <laughs> all right, all right. We know. Oh, fine. Oh, boy, fine. you're, you're no, a little can, touchy can, there. No, no, you, no. You dish I can dish it out. Can't take it. I can take and dish it out. I tell you what, you go buy a February is the month. You go buy a seven dollar green warm up jacket from a thrift store, and you'll feel punchy too. Oh my goodness! Right? What do you think of this <laughs> yes. thing? Oh it's my! Beautiful. For those want, who want the who want the vision that Shane Jensen is this morning, Matt Johnson is going to tweet out a tweet out a picture of, of Shane. <laughs> the Jensen. Not only does he have the beard, which he always has, and the and the Red Sox paraphernalia, which he, which always, he always has. has. He, he's also got a, a snappy warm up jacket. Green, in green. green. I look very Bostonian. I'm I'm a guy you'd feel would be very entitled about sports right now. <laughs> or homeless, one of the two. One of the two. These things are both possible. 
so we, we, <laughs> the bell has rung. <laughs> uh, I'm not, that's the first time. Can that's we, the first time experience with the bell. What does that mean? What do you think it means, guys? It means to get off that topic. It means move. It means we've had a soundboard this whole time and have definitely been underusing it. That's true. So do you? What, Where's what the sad trombone when like somebody says something? I am looking at I am looking at the Jensen and hit his hat, and I'm actually pondering the fact that I believe the Red Sox are. The clear number one favorite in the American League East this year. Yeah, and um, uh, it strikes me as a great grimace. Yankees are kind of down that list. I think five thirty eight had them at like fourth or something, yeah. which I don't, I'm not sure I buy into. Uh, don't buy it, but don't buy it. Never, no, never buy the put the Yankees out at that deep. I think but, yeah. that's got to be the toughest division in baseball, right? Well, you know, yes, yeah. e- more or less every year. But you got you, the Red I don't Sox know. actually more or less every year. They, I mean, they the Orioles are pitchers. better than usual. The 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 Jays. There's are no better really than weak teams in that division. I would say. Um, I mean, I mean, you know. Uh, Look at the NL East, where you've got both the Mets and Washington being. I, I, I think, like you know, teams like the Phillies and Braves would probably argue that the NL East is actually like a little bit tougher to kind of at least get into contention. With. I don't think you can have the no. toughest division if you have both the Phillies and Braves. Well, in the okay, same division. I That's guess like, they can beat up on each other. No, I mean, in the American in terms East, of having it goes top teams, all the way down. Baltimore is, by some measures, the worst team in the American League East, and they're a good team. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, right. it's, it, I'm, but it does it does create a There's lot. There's no of, weak teams. Uh, it do, does create a lot of havoc in the forecast because be, you can't really predict any of those teams to to win more than ninety games. Oh, right. Interesting. Okay, because they play so much against each other. A so lot. Keep I them mean, down. There yeah. used to be a yeah. balanced schedule in the American. In each league, it was about twelve games per. What would you feel about team? going back to that? I like the balanced schedule. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like we should play the same. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, the divisions I think came more out of like historical. Didn't you know dividing things up so that you didn't have to travel as much, that's plus right. creating these rivalries. And I mean, I do like Yankees Red Sox. I mean, obviously that's a great rivalry to watch. Exciting games. We don't, I don't think we need nineteen it's times out now. of one hundred and sixty. <laughs> this was, right? but this I mean, was like, an innovation. Like, baseball is funny because that sounds Kate, awful. Yeah, 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 it's way it's, too much. It's too much. I mean, one, there's too much baseball anyway. Oh, so. okay. here we go. <laughs> now here we go. Here comes the disc on the sport. But, Cade, one of the things that the, the, the baseball is always contemplating is a change to something to make mm-hmm. it more exciting. At, be, looking can't, at your face, right, can't, can't, why I they can't duplicate that. This but one of the changes <laughs> they made was to make more interleague ro- play so that there'd be more head-to-head with the, with the most fearsome rivals. I actually agree with Shane that it's not a good plan. And so, hold on. Just, oh, I, don't, I, I wouldn't get well, rid of interleague. Sorry no, 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 to no. interrupt. I wouldn't inter, get rid of interleague. No, I'm not talking about that. Inter, inter-division, oh, inter-division in, rivalry. Intra-division. Intra-division. So, as uh, we used to be balanced, and now it is you play like six times against the Seattle teams in another division and 19 times against your own division yeah. mates, which makes an incredibly unbalanced schedule for the American League East, which is so strong, you play the vast majority of your games against that, that division. That would only matter if you were somehow compared to teams across divisions. Which you are, through the which wild card. Oh, for the wild card you are? Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really awful. Yep. So do people compl- How long has this been going on? So, well, by the way, Shane, this is an example where Adi being a little, you know, didactic is helpful because I didn't know I wasn't quite sure this was as oh well, gee oh shucks there Kate I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I also value all these didactics oh thank you so much I feel so appreciated this morning <laughs> trying to count my wife is, trying might to, be listening I'm, I'm shouting out to her thank oh, you he's, there's no soothing that savage beast over there man don't even try <laughs> 
Okay, so how long have they had this unbalanced schedule, and do people complain about it? Uh, Outside of the AL Yeah, when was the divisions were like in the 60s or something? Well, divisions didn't begin until the 60s, the late 60s. Yeah. When they Before then, it was just AL, B- It was NL? just AL and NL, and you just win it. And one big was group. One big group. That was why win the pennant it, was a big deal. Winning the pennant was huge. It wasn't right. so unbalanced back in the 60s. Like when no, they first instituted it. Right. But everybody, te- all the teams were on the East Coast or in the Midwest. Yeah. Everybody was a train right away. And then they went, they expanded to California. That's when they made the divisions because you could just Hold on. When did the first uh, California team come on? Oh, when the, when the Brooklyn Dodgers. That was the first California team? Yes, it yeah. was. Get out of here. Was that the first team west of the Mississippi, that kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my when, God. And then when the Giants, the Giants, the Giants moved yeah. after that. In what year? 60s? 62, Get 63? Out. Really? We've only had professional baseball west of the Mississippi well, this for is 50 why years? I hate to feel it. Here, I think the Brooklyn, it was maybe late 50s when the Brooklyn yeah, Around Dodgers, that time. Hmm? I mean, maybe our producer, oh Matt goodness. Johnson, There's will a lot get on it. I mean, cause <laughs> and, there, uh, there, there are still like a idiots. lot of Brooklyn Dodgers fans out there. Oh, yeah. those who won't watch baseball. They're either baseball 80 or hipsters, because, but like, <laughs> there are still a lot of Brooklyn Dodgers fans they're right now, and they're hating our inaccuracy here. But, they are. They're hating on us. But just But broadly, 50, 60 years, mid-century, I wouldn't have known that it was... Which is interesting, because you take what the west coast of... Of America had were minor league teams that were of professional quality, of semi-professional. I mean, almost oh. as high as the major leagues. They were professionals. So the San Francisco had the team, the Seals, which is where Joe DiMaggio and Dom DiMaggio cut their teeth. That they were they were superstars on the West Coast. Is that right? And then finally they would get a they get picked up by a, by a major league team and they by would... a major league team. The Yankees took them all back. Yeah, they <laughs> come did. on, <laughs> come <laughs> on. Oh, so that tradition goes back to the beginning as well. That yeah, yeah. that go, that goes way back. All right, 1957. National go. League owners vote unanimously to allow the Giants and Dodgers to move to San Francisco oh, and they L.A. Moved together. My goodness. But then that I guess they, I guess they moved a year the next Guys, year. Guys, that's so. 60 years. That's 60 years in two months. We're two months away from the 60-year anniversary of that vote. Yeah, we'll have to recognize that. Yeah, we and will. all those 80-year-old hips, hipsters. Are yeah. they? Wait, oh, no, 80-year-old or, or hipsters. hipsters. I mean, are, an 80-year-old hipster would be pretty Do you think awesome. we should do yeah. like a... We should I'm sure just, they exist. We should rebrand this as a sports analytics and sports history yeah. show. That'd be, a no, history. I don't think it's wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, but, but speaking... So this was these changes were done to to increase competition. Obviously, diverse. The, the move to the West Coast was to get more... No more fans. Yeah, um, but the 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 the, the shrinking going back, they had to split it to three divisions, and then they ended up having you pay the uh, play more often. That was done, I would guess, around fifteen years ago to make more competition. Okay, more head to head rivalry between yeah. the teams that that were were um, traditional yeah. rivals. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. that they had so much of. Play. I mean, they're they're increasing the role of things like wild cards in the in the kind of playoff picture, right? There's now two wild cards instead of one, um, and so it's interesting that you do get that un that unfound schedule. Really, is consequential to those wild card right. races. Extremely. So we don't care very much which wild card do they play each other first, no? Or do they play? Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, I guess it doesn't. They haven't increased the number of wild card teams making kind of the real playoffs. It's just that there are. Multiple wildcard teams now in contention, at least for the playoffs in each uh, con. Okay, um, so guys, league. tell me you, the opening day is what Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? Yep, something like Sunday that. night. They're going to Sunday night for a couple teams. Monday for they'll most open teams. it, kind of pre-open it. Yeah, yeah, it used to always be a Monday thing, and now they snuck a game. Yeah, in. they usually do. do. Is it always? Uh, I feel like they often do. Um, this is kind of, thing kind of change a matchup every year. with the World Series. Yeah, uh, I sort of the Cubs are the ones. It's going to be Sunday tricky. Night. It's very cold on the East Coast, and the, the evening games are just not fun. 
in early April. I always oh, kind yeah. of feel I always take April some games satis- in Boston are I a guess, challenge, man. <laughs> yeah, I get some satisfaction out of that. Like when they when they start playing in the snow and they end playing in the snow in October, I'm like, yeah, that's what you get, baseball. No, it's uh, it's, it's ugly. What you, that's it's what you ugly. that's what you get. You force us to watch 100 and friggin' 85 games or whatever it is by the time you roll the postseason in it. It's what you get. That's what Just you get. Well, you know, less yeah, baseball. No. Give us less baseball. You want to work, play in that. Well, weather. speaking of less baseball, I actually read an interesting article over the over the weekend. You think I should pipe down because we have a guest coming into the studio in like ten minutes? Who works who, in professional baseball. Works in professional. Well, get it out no, now. No, no, get it out now. Don't, don't pipe it down. It Just now. bring it out. So here's something that I thought was interesting. This is a, a kind of a typical internet um, age analysis. Some very committed person went back and found two games, one in 2014 and one in one in eight, 1984. That were essentially the same game. The score was eleven to two. They had exactly the same number of at bats, the same number of hits. <laughs> oh, I love it's, this. It's, it's actually in, yeah. in keeping of statistics is yeah. a, is a brilliant thing because they found what we call matches. There must be lots of these. Uh, of well, yeah, I'm sure there are, but but these were were two two games that had almost the same same box scores. Yeah, the 2014 game was three hours and seven minutes. And the, and the 1984 game was two hours and 30 minutes. Yeah. And so he won yeah, and he watched right. every single, and he found on YouTube a complete version, of, including the How commercials fantastic. of 1984. And that, I guess that was probably the limiting step. And then he compared essentially step by step oh, what it is that made the 2014 game yeah, so much right, longer. Right, right. So I'm going to turn it to you guys, maybe our listeners who, who might want to Batters make a stepping out of the box. So what gloves. is it that does it? And there's actually, I'll give you um, a hint. There are two factors that are the predominant. Batters stepping out of the box. And? Physics to the mound. Well, those those collectively are, are actually, those are, those are, those are, your, I think Cade's more on the, on yours is too rare, Shane. The visits to the mound are too infrequent to make that kind of contribution. Hmm. But, but Cade's on the right track with one of them, which is essentially the time between pitches is much longer. Than commercials. No, commercials is the second one. Commercials are, account for about seven to ten minutes. And the, 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 just the slow time between the pitches, the two pitches. And how much of that's on the batter versus the pitcher? I think it's the pitcher. The pitchers dick around. Uh, it's the pitcher who I doesn't throw. I think the throw. batter, the batters do step out a lot. I mean, one they do. Of the... So I, I can't, I can't differentiate. But for the most part, one of the observations made was that barely ever does a pitcher throw the ball within 15 seconds anymore, and that used to be common. Hmm. So on a non, so what he did was he looked at a non. Nothing happened at hmm. a pitch. A pitch was not fa- was not fouled. Uh, it was just thrown to the catcher, and the batter didn't swing, and they threw it back. What? How long did, does that take? Yeah, and right. it used to take less than fifteen seconds all the time. Talk, and now it's longer. Be interesting to talk to pitch, people in baseball uh, around pitching about what is it that's going on in the rhythm because the rhythm matters a lot, and they're going to want to kind of stay in the same time, whatever the timing is. They're going to want to kind of stay that way all the way through. But that timing has drifted, and yeah. I think ba- Major League Baseball would love to see that. Well, they, timing they instituted go back. a clock, so has that had any effect? Nope. They Why not? It. Because they just ignored the clock. They just ignored. Yeah. And the clock is longer. The clock is like 22 seconds. Well, right. So. But, I mean, presumably that could at least have a positive impact for pitchers that are taking longer than 22 seconds if they even adhered to it. So this is Wharton Moneyball. You can give us a call. Join in the conversation. one eight four four wharton one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six seventy eight sixty six. 7866 that is. We're, we, we, we're talking uh, baseball at the moment with uh, Shane and Adi and Cade. We've got another hour, 45 to go. We've got guests coming up bottom of the hour, top of the next hour. Guys, I pulled up the projections from Fangraphs anyway. Yep. So the Cubs are not number one by themselves. You may have seen these things. So the Dodgers forecast yep. to win as many games as the Cubs. Can this happen? How many? Do you believe in the Dodgers? 94. The projections are 94 It can certainly for both happen, yeah. Uh, by the way, not the next, next... The Dodgers have by far the deepest starting rotation in the 
I mean, in, in, in baseball, really. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of teams would be super happy with their fifth or sixth starters as, as the two or really? three starters on a lot six. of teams. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. And strong. I mean, they've got the best pitcher in baseball also. Okay. So. Give me the next, give me the next. I just saw the stats on his number of walks last year. His walk to strikeout rate yeah. was something absurd. Like, Kershaw, like twenty six or something like that. Yeah. It was or twenty. Yeah, strikeouts I mean, to walks. It was yeah, almost, it was yeah, almost single digits walks for the year. I mean, yeah. in memory is like teens yep. or something. Yeah. Um. All right. Give 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 me guesses on the next tranche of four teams, all projected with the same number of wins, ninety one. So we've got Dodgers and Cubs at the top with ninety four. This is off of Fangrass, by the way. Nationals, uh, Indians, Nationals, Mets. Red Sox. Red Sox, I guess. Or may- maybe Houston. Those are the maybe Houston. No. Shane took five guesses to guess the four. And oh, Houston and, was and in this one. All right. So the Red Sox Mets. are the ones below, that weren't in that class? No, the, the Mets weren't in that class. Oh. The Mets are dropped down okay. to 86. Wow. So that's All that right. tranche of four. Indians, so- Red Sox, Nats, and Astros. you got to love seeing the Astros in the top yeah. six of the projections. Oh, yeah. No, they've got a great team. Well, they've been slow coming back, but um, they, they the foundation they built is presumably about to start paying off. Okay, after that, the Giants. The Giants are always floating around up there. And then you get into the Jays and Mets at 86. Okay. So the Sox. I buy that. The Jays are right there. You know, they're basically five games. That's not a small difference. They're projecting yeah. five games behind the Sox in the AL East we were talking about. Yeah. And the, as, as Audie already mentioned, the AL East is, I think, the like toughest one to kind of predict the rank ordering correctly just, just because they are so closely matched. Just to right. show you, I mean, the Red Sox have to be better than, they, than, they, than, they are, than their numbers of wins forecast because they have to play such, such impressive teams. Yeah, right. So th- there's a power ranking there underlying these things, but then they have to run that through a simulated schedule. I mean, Fangrass does do a simulation, so they that's it, at least partially right. taken so, so, into of course, account. Uh, but... So, in other words, their power oh, oh, ranking, yeah, underlying power ranking right, is probably better. Be the Red Sox being like a 91-win team in the AL East means if you put them in another division and just simulate the season four, they'd probably be a 93 or 94-win team. That's right. I, that's I get right. you. That, that's that's certainly a very, that's a great point. Which is very hard to for me to... You know, contemplate at this point in the season, but well, yeah, yeah. Well, Chris I mean, again, was a pick was a huge pickup. For the Red Sox. A, yeah, ace. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, the Red Sox are kind of in like a win now mode. They're they're kind of uh, the Yankees and Red Sox have kind of switched place at least as far yes, as organizational philosophy goes. <laughs> oh, really? And the Yankees are actually kind of going for the youth movement and building but, up their farm t- system. T- tell, and everything tell me like about that. that. I don't understand how the how the organization could shift their philosophy. Are oh, they I just th- spoiled. Like, hold on, we got to win again. We got to. Uh, what what is it that leads them to be so urgent? Well, okay, I think they, they I mean, urgent. What do you mean? The Yankees being no, urgent or no, the Red Sox, Sox being urgent? I, I think it's really just about the kind of sort of like how things you know, are coming together. I mean, well, there's that. I mean, it, they also have a lot of youth that they kind of want to take it. You know, they, they they sort of see themselves as having a window of being very good. I mean, their offense okay. is still even with David Ortiz gone, like a very but, good. But offense. still, they they are they are some of their middle players or the longtime players are right at the edge where they're going to start declining. Pedroia is 33. He was I tremendous see. So it's last not organizational year. urgency. It's just is just this a, just Natural where the course. stars are lining up. I also are. think that there is something to be said for um, the kind of. St- I think. I think there's like manager. I've been watching this long enough that I think there's managerial styles, like general managerial styles. Sure. And Dave Dombrowski, their relatively new general manager of the last couple of years, is more of a. You know, he's he's much more willing to kind of trade farm trade farm system to get the best person on the market or sign the best person on the market. So they back to back years, they've basically grabbed the best starting pitcher available, right. you know, and okay. David Price last year in free agency, this year Chris Sale, but they are kind of 
really compromising their farm system for that. Okay. Whereas the Yankees are kind of going the other direction. Got it. So if you're telling me the first day of baseball is Sunday, does that sound right? That is right. The league has given us a triple header, Oof. essentially, and they, they're they pulling out all stops here, basically. So at 1 o'clock, Adi's Yankees at Tampa Bay. Ooh. Oh, in, in the Florida sun. Good. And that's true. You, they're in a you're, dome you're, you're down there. About the weather. Um, at the middle game, the four o'clock game, San Francisco at Arizona. I'm not sure about right. Arizona, also but Sunday nice Giants. Warm. And then one of the great rivalries in baseball, the nightcap of the triple header, Chicago Cubs at St. Louis Cardinals. Wow, that's a good that's day. Awesome. That's yeah, a good that's a good day. day. Oh boy, <laughs> bring your, out your gloves. Oh yeah, St. Louis. You're all about the weather right no, now. No, I've, I've I've suffered it, through so hey, many look, early is, April games. That's yeah, all I can think yeah, of. That's right. Um, so, as baseball fans, what are you going to do with that day? I mean, do y'all, how much of that do you take in? If it were Bradlow and his family and that was his choice sport, he would, like, build the family day around it. What are y'all going to do? I, I, You know, I, I will probably at least – I definitely want to catch that Yankees-Tampa Bay game. At one, that's going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll probably just be sitting on my couch with my laptop <laughs> open like a nerd watching baseball. With baseball in the yeah. background. Yeah. yeah. It is the beauty of baseball that you can kind of do anything else. Yeah, I mean, I actually <laughs> love it. I, I love it out and about. You know, if you're at a bar or something like that, it's on, but it's not. you can still have a conversation. Yeah. It's not too distracting. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah and if it's, it's not like soccer thing. where if you aren't staring at the screen the entire yeah. time, you might miss the entire <laughs> well, game. No, I mean, no, soccer's good if the sound's <laughs> on. Sure you, can always, you, can always, you can always listen sort of in the back. You might be listening it's like, when the voice goes up. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, you got, you got at least two seconds of lead time to look up at the screen. But it's That's kind of right. a backhanded compliment about a sport that it's good because you don't have to pay that much attention. It's good as a well, backhanded. It's, it's, yeah. it's a crescendo it's, sport. It's good as wallpaper on the In the, the sense that you climb towards scoring. And and if it's close, then and you get a, a certain amount of lead in to focus your attention. Okay, one That's out, right. nobody on. The count's two and yeah. oh. It's not real interesting. You nope. don't need to be paying attention. Yeah. Third right inning. Now. Yeah. So, by, by the way, we have... Three days, nothing game. You're like, whatever. A li- little bit of a heads up that we have a colleague here, Aton Green, who I know Adi has met, and uh, his job market paper, he's revised it and is about to resubmit it. Um, and it's about it's, it's about the way the strike zone changes uh, mm. over at different points. And he's got a story now, which is a very rational story for... Why the strike zones change? For example, in the, over time uh, with an umpire? With, no, with it with count basically. Oh, he, I see. he finds. Right, so that, what's his finding? Because I, I just want to I just want to preview it here, and then we're going to have Aton on at some point, probably in May when classes are over, and we can talk about it in more detail. But um, you know the 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 li- what's the likelihood of a pitcher throwing a strike in a three zero count versus an zero and two count? Oh, oh, I mean, much lower much, for much a three. Much yeah, so a th- in a three zero count, yeah, they're, they're likely to have a strike. Oh, like, I'm sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah. So he's he's, he's going to throw a much better pitch yeah. in three zero than o two. Much and so, better looking. Yeah. The, the idea is that umps over time have come to expect that. I mean, the frequency of, of observed strikes is very different. Yeah. In three zero versus o two, so they've got this prior. If you think of it in Bayesian terms, they've mm-hmm. got this prior that it's going to be a better pitch. In three so even, even, even if the pitch is kind of marginal, they're more likely to shrink it towards that's the plate right. that's if right. it's so 3-0. The marginal bit is the key yeah. bit here because there's no ambiguity if a pitch is straight down the middle or if it's way outside. Those pitches are clearly strikes yeah. and balls. But there is ambiguity when it's on the margin, right on yep. the edge of the of the strike zone. And so, you know, they don't observe these things perfectly. So they basically get a noisy signal. But it's a biased, noisy signal. A, it, it's a, no, this, well, it's the a, signal may be unbiased, but it has to be integrated with his yeah. expectation in yeah. a Bayesian way. 
And that leads to the umps calling a much tighter strike zone in 0 and 2 than on th- on 3 and 0 than on 0 and 2. So well, they also give a they also give much more like to call a strike in 2 and 0 count. Yeah, so no, it, you walk it, it, you can walk it, walk it, it, it you walk it all the way down linearly. Actually, that's right, that's yeah. exactly right. And he and he maps he's a bunch of very cool analysis, but the zone. You know, he talks about the the basically the square footage or the square this the size of the zone, how different it is mm-hmm. in three and zero versus zero and two. Yeah, so I've actually been looking at that same phenomenon, not not from the perspective of umpire biases, but more from the perspective of just forecasting, just plain old conditioned on where the ball was thrown. What is the probability that that's going to be called a strike? Yeah, and all the factors that go into that include the catcher, the catcher's ability to frame the pitch. The pitcher's reputation, if you will, or mm-hmm. whatever it is that you the think. Count, the count, obviously, has a role now. Count. I think what he's showing is that there are these other factors, but the count is like significantly larger. Well, the, the count is the biggest factor. Yeah. But the catcher is the prop. Well, actually, I'm going to be out. The right handedness, the handedness matchup of the pitcher is actually very, very important because the strike zone shifts substantially yeah. depending yeah. on the cross handedness yep. of, right. the, of the catcher because the ball moves in directions. Yeah. And the catcher, and the way the catcher sets up compared to the batter and where the batter stands, that actually makes a big impact on what the umpire really sees. Yeah. So you have to, what you, the first step to doing this is giving a, a count neutral, batter neutral catcher, you know, just take the, the external variables and then, and, and given where the pitch is, What's that probability? Yeah. And then you see how it gets adjusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the things that that, uh, that the analysis that I've been doing with with uh, one of my students that's that's in the process so, of being done is to actually integrate that on where the pitch is. And one of the things that we found, and I don't know if Aton is, I haven't talked to Aton about this because this is just very preliminary, is the umpire actually has a better view at the high part of the strike zone. Yeah. And as as a result, is less likely to be influenced by the count by any effect at the highest part of the strike zone because they can see better. Mm-hmm. They see what aspect of it, do they, so they see right left better at the top than they do at the bottom. And they're just like they're, they're they can you see know, the angles see better because the angles like, is much better for them to get a view of where the strike zone is. So and so, so they it, tend to call the pitch much more closely to the actual strike zone. And it, the, the but, count effects are there, but they're they're contracted. But do you know whether you're talking about counting it, uh, calling it better right left, or you're talking up about down. calling it better high up low, down high low. high low? So the ball's essentially yeah, right so down the middle. Yeah, but it's right at the edge of the strike zone, the top of the strike zone. So the top of the t- strike zone is better defined than the bottom. Much easier to find. because of perspective. Uh, That's my argument, is that, that, so in other words, if you look at the magnitude of the count effect, it's huge at the low part of the plate, and it's much smaller at the top part. That would match his story very well, but it's just more ambiguity at the bottom. Therefore, it will be more affected by expectations. That's right. Yeah. So by the way, Aton tells a big rational story for this. He says this is quite Bayesian, actually, because what else are you supposed to do with a noisy signal other than integrate it with your prior? I love that so much academic energy, actually, (laughs) and non-academic energy, is going into something, the subjectivity and errors of people that we, this could be, this could be gone from baseball if we wanted to If we had it. Right? I wondered where you were going. Yes, I know. Like all this stuff that we're discussing, oh, isn't it interesting that they don't have as good an angle? I'm like, oh, if only there was some way to get an objective viewpoint of this. I have to tell you, it's just so much fun to see that, that that strike zone bop around. It's is just it? kind of it's, part of the history of the game. Oh, here we go again. I know. Here we is go. It? Is it? <laughs> I, I have to tell you, it would make it would make hitting go up, without a question. Well, then because the actual strike means, zone, the actual it. strike zone is much smaller than the than the the called strike zone. Yeah. Plus, the variance can't be helpful to the pitcher, right? To have to throw. I, I mean, of course, it varies with the size of the batter, but 
But it, it takes away a bit of the it, artistry. I mean, the, the catcher has an impact, and it's amazing to see it act- in play. And the and the catchers who are able to do this, Buster Posey is probably the all time great. At least, so uh, are you getting are you getting a more precise measure of framing effects? Yes, we are getting. Wait, so that's clearly that was so the point. Is, that was actually the point of our our work. I see. So this is a, something that's been talked about in recent years. That, that by the way, catchers years. frame pitches. Yeah. They they basically how they act where they caught the ball. They they present the the reception of the ball in a way that maximizes the chance that the ump will call it a strike. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so actually, so, the paper that we just submitted, that Samir, my graduate student, and I just submitted, is called Safe 2 because it's spatially aggregated framing effect. You know that's trademark, Trademark, right? trademark. But, but, you are so, gonna, so Shane I is mean, referring I, to... I, I assume the check's in the, the royalty check is the, in the mail. Yeah, that's right. So so Shane and I wrote a paper with, with one of our students, Ken Shirley, which is titled Spatially Aggregated Fielding Effect, I see. which was essentially the same technology, which is okay. why Oh, and why you just did it. the spatially aggregated field, framing, framing effect. effect. It's the same, it's the same basic uh, hierarchical no, I'm, model. I'm just going to allow. I'm going to allow an unlimited license for that. That's All right. right. <laughs> Safe we one, give safe it full two. credit. You have to realize it's it's all no, over. I believe, I believe it. <laughs> all right. So uh, and it, it allows us to, to sort of estimate the catcher effects so more precisely. I know that you have taken issue with the size others have claimed or found. It's actually not so much. Well, we do. Cl- it's it's we don't claim it as as big as people claim it is. Exactly. But it you're, is still fairly big. The, but the, the you're big correct. You're correcting a misperception. It's almost like they were attributing too much. I think they the, were attributing too much. So, 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 so a lot be- of it is noise. The best yeah. catcher. How many runs over yeah, a good. season in terms of uh, so the framing? Prob- the problem is is we're estimating it around fifteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is not so far no, off. That's, that's but the no, problem is the is best catcher is fifteen runs 15 above runs, average. The problem is is the interval is big. So it's five to twenty-five. Yeah, the well, I mean, co- same the thing with fielding. The, well, they're not confidence intervals, but they're posture. Well, let's not get into too much yeah. detail on those things. But they're more like less, they're, they're like confidence, confidence intervals. intervals. Yeah, yeah. You're under, it's, it represents the uncertainty you have about the effect size. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you think it's between five and twenty runs. The best when you say twenty-five, best, five and twenty-five. Yeah, the, the best, the best catcher. The single best, the single best catcher, yeah. and it's actually so. What we've done is, and this is what taking the page from the from the safe paper that, that Shane and I wrote with Fielding, is you have to neutralize the all the other externalities, and so we essentially give every pet catcher the same set of pitches. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Not all of them have the same probability being framed. You can't frame a pitch that's way out of the strike zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. So you got to give, and and there's certain pitchers and certain combinations that are much more likely to throw. Yeah, pitches presum- uh, presumably if you are the catcher for like say Andy uh, Andy Pettit historically was a person who just lived on the edge of the zone, right? So he obviously you can but, have a bigger impact is, as a this catcher. Is, this is neat as him. a methodology because you're just matching yeah. in a way that in many domains you can't do because you've got all these data. Yeah. But you're saying. It's still hard to match perfectly, and so you can't quite. You, just you, uncertainty. You have smaller samples. There's actually far fewer pitches that are frameable than think, people believe, and so the just sample size. Got it. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, guys. Well, that's been the first quarter of Wharton Moneyball. Come back and join us after the break. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics every Wednesday morning. You can join the conversation, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. We're here 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday. Some combination of us are anyway. This morning it's Kate, Adi, and Shane. You can also email us, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Oh, hey, we've also got a Twitter account up and running now. We're a little slow on the update there, but we're we're off the ground. I think the handle is... At W Moneyball, at W Moneyball, 
Matt's got a slick little banner going on with the new logo, so you can follow us there as well. Uh, we've just had a guest join us. We always have guests at the bottom of the hour, and Brendan Harris just walked in the room. Delighted to have you. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks to be back. Thanks for having me. You bet. Brendan is uh, a former Major League Baseball player. He played for the Rays, Twins, and Angels. He is currently working in the front office for the Angels. And delightfully for us, he's in our executive MBA program here at Wharton. And is, are you wrapping up your first year? Is that? Or are you wrapping yes, up your second? Yes, third first? module of the first the first year. Okay. Yeah, so about a couple weeks left. So the second years, the guys who have been like, so these these executive MBAs. By the way, what they do, they come in here. They once or twice over the course of two years, they'll come in for a week. Otherwise, they're coming in every other weekend. They but they come in every other weekend for two years, and they take classes <laughs> like all day Friday, half a Saturday. It's every intense, now and man. then, it's all yeah. day. It's like Thursday, Friday, and half a Saturday. Family back on the West Coast or whatever bosses ringing them in the middle of stats class to do something. I don't know how you guys do it. I, I really don't. It's a grind, uh, and it's an adjustment, certainly uh, 12 years for a lot of us uh, since you've been sitting in right. class, and right. let alone three hours at a time, you know, <laughs> lunch three hours at a time. Are you saying so. we're not entertaining as professor-lecturer types? You're, you're saying we don't hold your attention perfectly I feel like for I kind hours. of fade out after hour, <laughs> after hour two and a half. That last 15 minutes or so kinda, is a little less engaging. You're, check, you're checking it's your just, email? You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's like a movie. It's hard to engage somebody for more than, you know, yeah. 120 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how has that adjustment been for you, Brenda? I mean, that's a pretty big – I mean, not not only were you not used to sitting in, play, in, in, in classroom for three hours, you're like physically running around fields, working out, hanging out with the guys – I mean, that's a pretty big transition. It, it's a, it's a definitely sometimes you you feel like in uh, that that third hour of the second end of class you just want to get up, start doing some jumping jacks, <laughs> or at least like throw the football around or something, because uh, you you see your mind, you know, kind of you'll have fifteen minutes good, five off, fifteen minutes right. good, and you kind of you know trailing it out, but, right. Um, it's great. We have a we have a really good mix of uh, classmates and, and you know, obviously very very you know uh, well well established titans of the industry in terms of our professors. So it's been fairly engaging and uh, um, fairly you know and uh, to, to the point you said I, 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 would, I would I would take that as my epitaph. Fairly engaged. <laughs> he was fairly engaging. Fairly engaging. I just yeah. I just saw the, gra- the the outgoing class just had their dinner, the Quaker dinner, where they have a couple of speakers and then they have kind of toasts. It's a little bit like a wedding reception or a rehearsal dinner at a wedding where everyone's like talking about what it meant to them. But it was neat to see them. I mean, after two years, I think they're ready to move on with their life. But there is this bittersweet aspect of it because as hard as it is, you build this camaraderie over those two years and it's never going to be that like that again. You know, you're never going to have that crew together in that way with that intensity again. I assume there's a lot of parallels in sports to that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you make – I mean, even th- there's teammates that you've had for maybe two, three months, but if it's kind of the stretch run of a playoff run and everybody – it's just every day is tense and everything, and you just lean on each other, and it's just kind of uh, – there's so much going on on the outside, and then you kind of come into the clubhouse, and it's, it's cocoon – like safe – literally safe space, right. you know, where you just kind of lean on each other, help, you know, help each other through it. and um, So it's very similar, yeah. And then and then certainly with the program, there's there's – some interesting people and some interesting we have, we have one woman that literally gave birth after a weekend and was in class two weeks later yeah right yeah commitment man. i couldn't believe it yeah. and wow I, and With it kind of puts everybody 
on notice where don't complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. With you that think woman. You got it and, and she, she's yeah. an ER doc. I mean, she's just a rock Docs star. Docs are ridiculous. And Docs she are just ridiculous. Then you came in and, and like participated in a class, like yeah. didn't like had all the readings done. Yeah. And yeah. It was, Talk about uh, the var- having low variance. ER yeah. docs have to be on. Up on yeah, yeah. So we had, have no drop. He's referring to a conversation we had with C.J. Wilson uh, the other day. So you probably faced Wilson at some point. He's a teammate your, of mine too. Team, yeah. a teammate as yeah. well. All right. So he's moved on to racing. So yes. former MLB pitcher C.J. Wilson, racing now. We had him on the show maybe two weeks ago, fifteen minute segment. But he was talking about he was talking about transferable big, skills. Transferable yeah. skills. He thought he was a better. We asked him why he might be a better race car driver than because of his experience pitching. He said, There's not much crossover, I don't think. <laughs> Physically, you wouldn't think. But he right. said mentally, he said he's got more apps, is the way he thought about it. His metaphor, I have more apps to deal with circumstances. And in particular, he understands that you, you basically have to show up and perform and minimize the variance around that performance. We thought about it in terms of like professionalism. kind of mm-hmm. doesn't matter the circumstances. You got, when it's game time, you got to show yeah. up and, mm-hmm. and minimize the variance in, in whatever performance you have. Yeah, and especially for pitchers, sometimes the best laid plans, you have a game plan, you go out some, and, and, hey, we're going to pound this guy inside. And CJ had a, a good cutter that you'd pound right-handed batters in. What happens first First at bat, a guy clears his hips and just gets the head out and lines want to double. Yeah. Now now you got the rest of the game. We were like, all right, hey, i got to adjust. You know, <laughs> right. and, I've, and I've spent the last two or two days putting this game plan together. And, uh, you know, now i got to turn the page and, and just kind of adjust on the fly. All right. So, Brendan, you talk about the intensity of bonds that are built, you know, in the stretch run as as you're pushing for the playoffs. What about on the other end of the season? So the, right now the teams are flowing into spring break. As a player, what are you focused on and what are you working on during spring break? So there's really two separate spring break, uh, spring break, spring training. You said spring break. <laughs> we were just going to let it slide. But yeah, it's not really much of a break for them. I think it's right. kind of a break there's, for us. There's two separate spring trainings going on. You have the ones that are that are, know they're going to make the team. Then you got have the guys on the bubble, and they are polar opposites. And I've been mm. in both. And I've uh, been in both situations. Certainly, you get to this point in spring training, guys that know they're going to make the team. I'll address them first. They are kind of polishing, fine-tuning, uh, maybe some mechanical adjustments they may have to play they want to take into the season. They're playing just hard enough so that they can get their timing, their rhythm at the plate, their innings, and then also not get hurt. Mm-hmm. And then they have some logistical things. Hey, I'm, I'm putting my bad order in with the uh, equipment guys. I'm making my orders from uh, uh, New Balance, making sure my, my, my show, well, cleats, these are, these are good, show cleats are good ready. These are good problems to have, right? Making my, you know, my car ship, my, my apartment ready. Right. You know, everything in the new city. The guy in the bubble, it's the Super Bowl every day, and it's on reasonably stressful okay and so this is where management comes in and, and a good manager to, to kind of communicate let you know kind of the state of the union as much as he can but every day is, is is supremely stressful and then the irony of it is inevitably you're going to be a bench player you're going to be a bullpen guy fighting for that last spot yeah so your opportunities are going to be pretty limited get into that last week right. of the season because all the starters are going to need all the all the uh the reps so you're putting on an undue amount of stress on yourself for these, on you know, one, one, bat, one at bat a day, a oh couple God. innings in the field. You know, you're hypersensitive to to gossip going around the clubhouse. There's always a vet that kind of has a streamline to, you know, some of the coaches, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of eavesdropping on some of the beat writers. And, and oh, so oh, it it's, it's just, it's, and, it's, and it lasts for a week and it seems like a month. So how did you deal? You said you were in this circumstance a couple of times. How did you yeah. deal with it? Right, and when you saw people who dealt with it well, how did they deal with it well? You know, they just 
and it's it's very simple, but the axiom of you can kind of can worry about what you can control and can, you know and focus on that. I mean, it's human nature to kind of you know look at the ancillary, you know, the things going on outside. But if you just kind of control what you can control, prepare. And what I learned towards the end of my career was just the biggest thing you do is just kind of almost act like you're going to be on this team, act like you belong, kind of relax a little bit, look look like you know you're comfortable in the situation. Okay. If you're not, fake it. You know, yeah. and, and just look like, hey, I'm part of this club. I belong on this club. Right. You know, right. So when, when you there. think about your, your possibilities of making, how much of it do you believe is in your control and how much is it sort of luck? Does a, does a professional athlete ever entertain the idea that there's luck in their, in their performance? Every player has some story of where their guy got hurt and then they got their opportunity. So it's going to happen. You just And the biggest thing is being ready when, when opportunity is there and, and keep, keeping yourself ready and sharp. Uh, there are certain things in terms of guys have options, guys have outs in their contracts, some guys have guaranteed contracts, some you know, some guys are on minor league deals, and then you have the aspect of the forty man roster where how that plays out and then certainly maybe there's there's issues that filter down. So maybe there's a pitcher that's a little kind of barking and he you know, we don't want to extend him too much, we might have to carry an extra bullpen guy. So there are legitimately things out of your con- control that but you're always constantly aware of them too. Mm-hmm. So the the I'm struck by how few extra uh, field, what's the right term, position players there are in baseball. So half mm-hmm. a club is pitchers now. So you're talking about 12 or 13, half a roster is a pitch, or pitchers, yeah. right? So you have 12 or 13 position players. There are only eight positions. And so you've only got four non-starters, four or five non-starting position players, right? That's just not many. Well, to follow that up, one of the biggest analytical um, movements that have taken place in the last couple of years is the idea of the multi-position utility player. Yeah, yeah. right. And the, and they, they've, the claim the is... Value uh, the value of it really is, has, I think, uh, increased. The anal- analysts have essentially said that this is a much more valuable than you thought. And having a guy who can play both infield and outfield and and multiple positions in the infield and play outfield. It's it's almost it's, 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 Ben Zobris, of course, is the, is well, the number yeah, one. Well, I mean, he right, right. I mean, he went from like kind of. I mean, I think he sort of started as a utility guy just because he was so versatile. Uh, yeah. We started Versa- as a shortstop. I mean, his, yeah. Shortstop. Yeah. But that's where it all begins. It does. Because <laughs> there's, there's good that? athletes. I mean, explain that to our, I mean, to our listeners about shortstop. Why does it begin yeah. there? Well, inevitably, they're the best, it, with, along with your center fielders, they're the best athletes. And so, and, and to your point, the utility player used to just be every position on the infield. But now Joe made it, and it's funny, and, and it's, it literally started with Zobris. They, they, they kind of threw him in right field. And, and, I pl- and I played with the Rays. I remember talking to our third base coach, and he said, you know what? His best position might be outfield. He goes, he gets natural, gets good jump and this and that and so um, they put him in right field and then and to be honest as a player it opens up more spots in the lineup for you and and to your point about the roster flexibility it's like two two spots on your roster a guy that can play infield and outfield right right and so now you can maybe only have one infielder or two infielders and only one extra outfielder because you're going to have a guy that can play both so what does that open up through your for your does it help your pitching staff because you can carry an extra pitcher, or do you have a, a better hitter that you can use in more frequency? Where's the advantage coming from? Then you can you can take a few like I was just down in uh, Florida and I was watching the Tigers. So you have the Tigers now. You have a DH where you have um, uh, Victor Martinez can't play the field anymore. So they they don't have they have certain positions where they don't have roster flexibility, which makes the mm-hmm. impact of a guy like Andrew Romine who can play first base, second base, and outfield that much more valuable because you're also going to need. DH um, days for Miguel Cabrera, for other guys like that. So, th- so that helps them in their roster flexibility. It, and I mean, injury. It sounds like injuries are such a huge part of how the utility, like this extra players, like yep. come into play. And so, 
given you can't predict which position is going to you're going to see an injury at, having somebody who can play the entire right. infield and maybe some part of the outfield is super valuable. Right. So this is Wharton Moneyball. We're here every Wednesday morning, eight to ten. You can join us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two. 7866 have Kate Adi and Shane this morning and this half hour we have Brendan Harris. Brendan was a major league baseball player. How many years did you play Brendan? I had uh, parts of eight years. Parts of eight leagues. years. A great career in the major league with the Rays, Twins, and Angels now in the front office for the Angels and an executive MBA at the at our school here just across the way, the business school here at Wharton. So Brendan, we've been talking about spring spring training, not spring break, spring training. <laughs> From a player's perspective, you're on the other side now. You're in the front office. What what do you guys focus on uh, in spring training? So a lot of the legwork is going to be done pre-spring training and bringing your guys into camp. And then once you get into camp, then it's all about kind of evaluation and, wor- and working with the guys that you know are going to be on the team and then working with guys that you see potential in the, and then you know dealing with those roster battles. Well, so, for example, Brendan, you talked about how the roster battles are guys who, by construction, aren't going to get that much time at the plate or in the field. As the front office, you know you're getting really small samples on their performance. How do you go about making that assessment on the most critical decisions you're making with such small samples. Yeah, I guess, I guess relative to other decisions, you personnel decisions you can make with baseball, my guess would be that it's more scouting-based and less analytics-based, right, just because the kind of data... Because you don't have the numbers. The data just isn't there. Right, and I'll give you a couple examples. So as as I've kind of mentioned that there's now the, the, the big thing in baseball is this fusion between kind of the, the traditional scouting and the analytics. And so one of the things I mentioned last time was uh, exit velocity. And so mm-hmm. one, what we're doing kind of as an organization, we're going from more outcome-oriented analysis to a process-oriented analysis, right. right? So this is something that we can do to kind of analyze and isolate. So, so just to be clear, outcome would be home run or Double, hit, triple, yeah. and process yeah. would be exit velocity, for example. Well, angle. Well, right, those two, yes, but in, in – in, Alcamorian is just saying, oh, this guy hits a lot of doubles. He's probably going to hit a lot of home runs. Yeah. Process-oriented is how how is his swing plane yep. and how does that affect his exit velocity, uh, exit velocity, his exit launch angle, Got and it. all those things. Okay. So now what we're seeing is kind of goes against conventional wisdom that a lot of things that we were taught as we were younger is that the flatter swings and even the, uh, the swings with a little bit of an uppercut are giving us the higher exit velocity. Is that right? Yeah. And so at, and, and so it's interesting. It's been taught for years. Oh, you got to hit down on the ball, down on the ball, you can generate backspin, then you're going to get carried. Now we're seeing the flatter swings wow. and the uppercut swings are generating higher exit velocity. And obviously with higher exit velocity, go for hits more often, wow. specifically doubles and home runs. So you're saying that – so this we've, we've all been kind of enamored of exit velocity because it is a single number. It's so intuitively related to these things. And then it turns out – it sounds like it's actually objectively related to them. So it's this great new measure. And you're saying that because we have this new measure – we we are redefining the optimal swing, which is amazing because guys have been swinging bats for more than a hundred years, right? Oh, it, it, it's since amazing. the Civil War, yeah. Abe, since the Civil War, <laughs> one hundred and fifty. I'm sorry, one hundred and fifty years. <laughs> and it was blasphemous to, right. to tell somebody to swing with an uppercut. I mean, and now you got guys who have who have remade their swing, like Josh Donaldson, a six foot guy, maybe a little over two hundred pounds, hitting thirty eight, forty home runs. You know, talking about you know generating that upward plane. And when you think about it, when the ball's coming in, the ball's flat, coming down, right? The ball's, ball's coming, coming down. down. And when you hit down, you have to be finer. And when you hit a flat I swing, see. and when you hit up, that's going to kind of match the trajectory. Have, your ball, your your ball, your barrel's going to be in the zone, and yeah. you're going to have a greater margin for error. You're going to square more balls up. When you square more balls up, you're going to have higher exit velocity. Okay, but the interesting thing about that is that you're 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 explaining some 
something now because you know the relationship. That could have been explained because it's very intuitive. It could have been explained in exactly those terms any time in the last 150 years. Or Yes, and we're not. Except you couldn't <laughs> observe the processes as high resolution, as resolutely, and looked, you only it, had the outcome. But if you looked at pitchers, the great hitters from the fifties, like Mickey Mantle, did he swing with an uppercut? Yeah, this I is, thought yeah. he did. Well, this is exactly the. I was about to ask: Are there historical figures that now we know they had an advantage because their natural Williams. swing? Ted Williams also was uppercut. a big one. Yeah. Really? Yeah, huge one. And now, but with the trap man, dad, an trap up, man, dad, uh, he was a little bit more flat uh, yeah. in his swing. But y- now you have quantitative. You have you can have hey. This exit velocity is this. This launch angle is this. Yeah. And look at the results. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so you have that. And the second aspect involved, in, in certainly with that, is is the element of torque. And so when we do have these small sample sizes, you can look at these guys and you can break down their swing and you can project how are they going to play, even if you have a small sample size. So another yeah, thing okay. of conventional wisdom is is used to be, hey, the hands come first. That front foot is down. Hands come through. Then the hips come through. Now what we're seeing, we're seeing higher exit velocities when the hits come first, hmm. when that front foot lands at about a 45-degree angle, then the hands come through, and we're seeing much higher exit velocities. It sounds like velocities. a golf swing, actually. Hips, a lot of it is, is similar, and in, in our G, we've been very progressive in getting out there. There's certainly the Titleist Performance Institute that does a lot of this stuff. Yeah. We've sent guys, we've kind of uh, uh, consulted with them. Interesting. Um, but, Brendan, is the hips first new? I mean, I, I went to baseball camp. We, I've talked about this on the show many times, Ted Williams Baseball Camp, and and he would come and instruct. I'm a lot older than you, so. Uh, and he used to talk about hips first. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's new, but now it, there used to be a lot bigger split. And certainly it also has come in, in, into play with pitchers. And it's, it, it's a theory is called hip-shoulder separation. So it's, a theory, it's easier to describe yeah. when a pitcher, when that front foot lands, that belt buckle is facing the plate, but the shoulders are back, and then yeah. you're getting that torque, yeah. okay? And that's totally and that's, it, this and is that, a, so interesting, right? And that whip, and that's the same thing. And the, and the whole theory behind it is generating the, in that kinetic chain, generating yeah. energy to the point of contact and the release point. So that's what everybody's looking for. So now at least you, you can slow it down, break it down, and get to that point that you're looking for. So as a former player, you came in after these insights and so you weren't asked to change your swing changing your swing i mean it's, it's like changing your running stride it seems almost to me how, how easy it, is it for these guys to transform on those two dimensions but i, I and i will say it's probably it's easier now than it used to be just because you get that immediate feedback right you can actually sort of yes. like little adjustments you can actually sort of say oh that actually changed my you okay. know, my plane by two degrees okay. or something like that. But I so would guess a professional golfer decides to reconstruct his swing. It's like he like basically takes himself out of an entire season as he tries yeah. to re um, habituate to this very different thing, make this thing automatic that he's been doing differently for whatever thirty years. How is it in baseball? You know, baseball. There's been players. I mean, Don Mattingly's one. Uh, Nick Markakis is another guy currently that they'll, they'll tinker with their swings all the time. Um, so it is tough, and I kind of go on a player by player basis. But it's similar to the kind of Malcolm Gladwell, where I think if you you know ten thousand hour rule, if you're doing something enough, um, that can't get it, that in an off season. He <laughs> right, you can be you can you can work on it, and, and a lot of times this just gets into some of these professional guys just have such good hand eye coordination, right? You know, and and they're they they can make those adjustments not necessarily on the fly. They're gonna have to keep working on it day in right. and day out. Right. Um, but it is possible. It, it's hard, you know. It's, it's some of it. Sometimes it feels like resetting a bone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but right. So we're down to just a few minutes. On the front office side, of course, is an analytics show. Are there any other numbers or analyses that, that you're especially interested in right now or curious about? Certainly on the pitcher side, you're looking at, um, conversely, you want low exit velocities. You want guys that are going to generate low right. contact. Right. And you right. also want you want swinging. 
what's valued now on the high end are certainly swing and miss stuff. So you want guys swing, swing and miss percentage. Yep. And then conversely, on the hitting side, you want guys that not expanding the zone. You want uh, chase percentage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you can stay within, if hitters can stay within the zone, and then pitchers can get guys to go out of the zone, that's what, kind of things that we're going to look at. What too. have you found that pitchers do that contribute to lower exit velocity? For example, uh, hard sinkers, and, and you know anything with late movement. Okay, okay, is gonna is gonna is gonna be tough to square up. So you, you get somebody, you know, with those hard sinkers or, or, or good running fastball, anything that's gonna because the barrel legitimately on a bat, it's only about this big. So you you get a cutter, you get something, and you miss that. Anything that misses the barrel, yeah, okay, with late movement is gonna generate weak contact. Okay, so how do you so how do you translate those kinds of insights into action as an organization? What have you seen? That an organization can do to be more data oriented to, to 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 generate those insights, but then also to harvest them and actually use them. So we've been doing a lot of like really kind of progressive things. Where without getting into some of our secret sauce, we've been taking a lot of guys and um, doing a lot of um, certain certain guys. We've taken them doing a lot of drill, drills to isolate that hip shoulder separation. Um, to we've done some weighted ball stuff and, and to kind of generate that connect you know or, or, or that spark that quick twitch which is going to generate mm-hmm. um, things and, and hopefully if, if it's going to increase velocity but it's also going to in- increase their spin rates. What what difference does it make to have uh, the higher up executives supporting data essentially and behind the committed to these kinds of insights? We're just an all encompassing. You know, it, it's big, and you know, certainly what can be for a company or, or, or certainly a baseball team, it can be uh, somebody that says this is how we've always done. It can be death for any company, or any, you know, it, it can be a killer. And so we, we're really lucky. Billy's just kind of. Uh, Epler, our GM, is always looking for something better, put our players in a better position Mm -hmm. to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's huge. It sets the agenda. Okay, great. So you're opening uh, on Monday, Tuesday? How does it work? Uh, one of them, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's so. an executive MBA, man. It's like, yeah. I got two days of class. I got three days I can't of class. think that far ahead. All right, Brendan Harris, thanks for being here. Very much appreciate your taking the time. Thanks for having me, guys. You bet. That's Brendan Harris, former MLB player for the Rays, Twins, and Angels, current front office with the LA Angels, and an executive MBA here at the Wharton School. That is the halfway point, guys, in our two-hour, two-hour Wharton Moneyball show. We still have an hour to go. Come back and join us after the break. Listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics coming to you live from the Wharton School every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. This is Cade Massey hosting this morning with my buddies Shane Jensen, Audie Weiner. Our fourth collaborator, oh, his name is what? Fourth collaborator, Eric Bradlow. Eric Bradlow. That's Bradlow. the guy. That's the guy. He's right out there. doing some kind of. We Bradlow miss things. Eric. Yeah. You can join the conversation. We're about the halfway point now. We got another hour to go. Jump in here. Give us a call. One eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six. You can also email us business radio 
at SiriusXM.com. BusinessRadio at SiriusXM.com. Matt Johnson will pick those up. We're replayed five times over the course of the week. Great way to reach us if you're listening to a replay is drop us the email. Also, we have a new Twitter account up and running. You can follow us. The handle is at WMoneyBall, at WMoneyBall. We are just off with Brendan Harris. Brendan was in studio with us for the last half hour, former MLB player. In the next half hour, CEO and founder of Noah Basketball. If you haven't heard about them, you'll be really interested to hear. John Carter. John Carter is joining us by phone. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. D- delighted to have you. Where are you calling in from today, John? I'm calling from Alabama. Alabama. That I love I, <laughs> being up here in Philadelphia. I'm always a little delighted whenever someone calls with a southern accent. So, John. Well, thank- you got your wish today. <laughs> <laughs> John, I, I, I'm not surprised you're calling from Alabama because I understand that you got your bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Auburn. Is that right? And have you, have you just have you been in Alabama? How much of your life have you spent down there? I've actually spent uh, my entire life here. Okay. I've, uh, I always tell people I've traveled the world over many times, especially the U.S. But uh, but I've always been able to call Alabama home. All right. So I was just in New York yesterday, but uh, back in Alabama today. All right. Well, so we want to hear about what you're doing with Noah, but I can't talk to someone from Alabama without asking about football. <laughs> John, I'm, I'm stuck up here with baseball people. I need to talk. I'm from, I'm, from, I'm from West Texas, and so I need to talk a little college football. How are you feeling about Auburn's chances? And are they ever – do you just have to – how does it feel to be an Auburn fan in the, in, the, in, the, in the era of Nick Saban? Are you just waiting for him to move on, or are you, gonna, are you feel like you've got increasingly competitive? Well, I'm certainly ready for him to retire, move on, anything. <laughs> Uh, it's tough to be an Auburn fan in uh, in Alabama right now because Alabama's just been dominant. And yeah. uh, so, uh, but it is. Uh, I actually grew up an Alabama fan, if you can believe that. Oh my! Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm a little bit mixed up. But then I went to school at Auburn, and uh, and of course support the Tigers in a big way now. But uh, but yeah, so I feel good about Auburn next year. We've got a uh, a new quarterback that's transferred in that uh, from Baylor, and. Uh, and of course, we have a. I think we have a good returning quarterback as well in Sean White. So it was hurt some last year. So hopefully, right. we're going to turn the corner this year. Right. Well, wish you the best. The whole world's pulling for you. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously, all of the U.S. is you know Auburn fans at this point. John, uh, yeah, we, we you caught our eye because you won the startup competition at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. So this is the big conference that's been going on for eleven years now. This is, uh, you know, as as a buddy of mine from a front office in the NFL said everybody smart in sports is there. This has become the go-to conference for sports analytics and very competitive in the research paper competition and the startup competition, and you won this year. So congrats on that, and we want to hear about what you're doing. So you've got the, my, my glib summary is that you help people shoot basketballs better, and that's an intriguing well, prospect. So can you tell us about what you do? Sure, absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, we, Sloan was terrific for us. Uh, we have just just got a lot of momentum and a lot of traction as a result of that event. It was a great event. We also uh, had a researcher that won the research poster competition. Fantastic. Talk a little bit about as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so it was it was a great event. But but the bottom line is what we do is we help uh, players make more shots, and uh, which in turn helps teams win more games. That's our uh, uh, that's what we do, and we do that by uh, providing instant feedback to players and providing them data that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, players never knew that they possibly shot the ball too high 
or that maybe from the right baseline they shot the ball to the left or mm-hmm. from the left wing they shot the ball to the right mm-hmm. and uh we're able to really there, there's been a lot of data tracking as far as make percentages uh you know i've, I've been in three nba jams in the last seven days and there's people everywhere counting makes and misses and yep. charting things yep but there's what we do is really get under the covers a little bit more to understand why that shot missed. Yeah, uh, John, and we, we know things like. Go ahead. We we it, the the connection to our last guest, you know, 15 minutes ago yeah. is is very tight because they're talking about in baseball better understanding why balls are hit well. The actual and process. The process. He talked about outcome data, mm-hmm. like the guy hits a lot of doubles, to process not just exit velocity, which is a measure of but process, the but the actual that plane that he's swinging on. And, stuff, yeah. and he's saying they're, yeah. they're increasingly appreciating that key, the key role that plays, and then trying to tweak that. It sounds like you're broadly doing this. You're, you're providing data on process that they've never had before. Like the, tra- the actual trajectory of the ball as opposed to just sort of like... Uh, right. It, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, the actual trajectory, the ball placement, all those type things, as opposed to, hey, it scored or it didn't, or it was a home run or it was a strikeout. Um, that's that's the level of detail that we're we're jumping into today. So I'm looking at your website. So the the website is noahbasketball.com, and even up front, you're you're showing lots of cool pictures. But then there's this table down bottom left where you've got you know the day and time. But then you're giving three. In this table, you're giving three pieces of information: the arc of the ball, the depth of the shot, and the left right. Uh-huh. Are you on? Are you on point or not? That's just fantastic. You're right. No, no one has seen those kinds of things. Arc is something people think about mm-hmm. and talk about. Can you tell us? It seems like this is a really important piece here. So, can you tell us something about arc? Sure. Uh, and boy, this is one I could spend an hour on. So I'll, I'll uh, you know, I've been barnstorming gyms for 12 years, uh, testing some of the best shooters in the world. That's okay. how we got started. Was, okay. Um, was really, uh, you know, what does a Chris Mullen shoot, uh, you know, for example. Yeah, right. And uh, and what we found is right out of the gate that, wow, some of these great shooters, or I'm sorry, almost all of these great shooters are shooting the ball right at 45 degrees. Really? So that was kind of hint number one. Is um, And then as we went around and, we you know, we've got our prototype system, we're measuring players, and we also found that all the great shooters shoot the ball deep in the basket. Okay. Um, you know, for example, they don't shoot the ball in the middle. Right. And we can talk about that as we go on as well. So we we looked at that. Then we actually spent uh, uh, some time looking at the um, building some models and things like that. We worked with Dr. Larry Silverberg at NC State, uh, John, one John, of our can, founders. John, can I hold John for just one second on sure. those on those two elements? So arc, like launch angle kind of thing, and depth. What kind of variation are you really talking about? Because the the depth, it strikes me you're probably emphasizing a difference of like an you know, inch, two inches, or yeah. something. Is that right? Uh, well, let me explain that. First off, we do not measure launch angle; we measure entry angle. Okay. Uh, launch okay. angle varies depending on the height of the player. Okay. Uh, the optimal launch angle varies depending on the height of the player because you know you take a five foot girl versus a seven foot guy. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of difference between the rim height and the actual release height. Okay. So we're measuring entry angle. And so what we found is the best shooters, I mean, I, I remember uh, Chris Mullen shooting a session, and I think he was between 43 and 46 degrees. Um, so no player can shoot exactly the same arc every right, time. Right, uh, that's pretty the, tight. Do you measure the, that arc coming into the basket, or is it leaving your hand? No, he just said uh, uh, in, coming, coming, coming into the basket. Coming basket. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. at the plane of the rim. Yeah. So, so if 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 you if you measured me, Shane and Adi in the gym, <laughs> I got my track. 
suit on right now. He's so. got his warm-up I'm ready to on. go. So, and you know, if you're making generous attribution about our basketball skills, please, just to be friendly. What kind of variation do you think you would see in our entry angles? Uh, you would, you'd probably see, I, I'm just guessing here, I'm, I'm not trying oh, to. Oh, boy, you want to increase that variance. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say you're probably looking at a 10-degree swing. Yeah, you right. might shoot from forty to fifty degrees, uh, whereas a professional okay. player might be three to four degrees between that uh, okay. uh, between that min and max. And and what's kind of what 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 is the you know holding other variables constant as you as you range from just below forty to just above fifty? How does the probability of a make change? It changes dramatically, and uh, and what happens is there's no way to control. And the study we looked at with this 1.1 million three-point shots shows that very clearly. There's no way to control the shot depth, in other words, the short, long of the shot, unless you control your arc. And so if you're shooting huh. you know, 42, then 49, then 43, you're going to have a spray effect at the rim okay. uh, from, from short to long. And so back to the – you know, what we found is the best shooters are typically plus or minus two, even three inches on left-right. Um and they're very consistent on their arc, and they shoot the ball 11 inches deep in the basket, which is the perfect depth. The rim is 18, and um, 11, so two inches past center. Yeah, two inches ideal. past center. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, for the most naive basketball fan probably sitting in this uh, studio here, well, how, how how much freedom do you have? Like, what what's the actual amount of error? Like, Until you miss yeah. the basket. How, yeah, how... Right. how Basically, what's the if the basket if the ball goes right in the middle of the basket, how many inches is there until you hit the rim? Uh, what's the difference on in the, the sides in the, the circumference yeah, I, of the ball versus the circumference right. of the rim? Yeah, well, the basketball, whether we're talking about a boys' ball or girls' ball, is uh, you know it's roughly around nine inches, so it's around half. The men's ball is a little bit greater than nine. The, the women's is very close to nine. Um, and so, what happens is if the ball is say three inches to the left. If it's the if it's deep enough in the basket, it will actually swish. It will be a nothing but net shot. Um, if it's uh, to the right, you can actually uh, you know you can actually make a shot that's five inches to the left. Uh, if it's deep enough in the basket, but it hit the, it'll hit the side of the rim and go downward. Right. If you think about that. Action. Right. Now mm-hmm. another thing to define for you that's really important that we're big promoters of is um, there's two types of guaranteed makes. We call this the GMZ, the guaranteed make zone. Uh, and that is the swish shot, the nothing but net, and also back rim and down shot. Yeah, back rim and down. Brad, yeah. You know, the Brad shot. And so the as long as the top half of the ball, if the ball is reasonably straight, if it comes in and hits the back of the rim, it's going to continue downward. And uh, and there are players all over the country that are not reaching their potential because they're not getting the ball back to that yeah. Brad zone. Just too much front rim. Time. Yeah, too much yeah, front too rim. That's much front rim. Real great, simple, actionable insight, right? So we're talking to John Carter. John is CEO and founder of NOAA Basketball. They train, and 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 we're going to hear more about it because we've been kind of perseverating in the, in the middle of the, of the rim here, but they uh, help basketball players shoot the ball better, and they just won the startup competition, um, a prestigious competitive thing at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. So, John, we're kind of dragging you through the basics of it. Can you, can you tell us how this has gone over with teams as you've, as you've been, as you say, barnstorming gyms all over the country for the last 10, 12 years? Sure. It's uh, the reception of, of our new product, which has only been out since the you know, summer-fall time frame, has been terrific. Um, what is the new product? 
Uh, the new product is uh, we actually sell it as a data service. So it's uh, we refer to it as Noalytics. So think about Noah, which is our heritage, our history, um, and analytics. So we just kind of combine those together. Mm-hmm. And um, so teams go to the Noalytics website and get all their data. And uh, there's automatic shot charting, all those type things uh, that are available. We can look at rim maps and things like that to see where you're, you know. John, what kind, of, what kind of technology is, is required to deliver yeah. this? You, you set up a camera? Can, yeah. or, 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 or can you actually sort of, because I know in like all the NBA uh, arenas and stuff like that, there's, there is obviously already video data. Are, are, can you, are you using currently existing kind of basically video data, or do you guys have to have your own set of cameras and all that no, technology? No, this is a this is our own our own setup. So we have a sensor that actually goes ten feet above the backboard, uh, not in the rafters like uh, I think you're referring to with you know right. with the sports yep. view and that's right and upcoming second spectrum. But uh, we have a sensor that goes up above the hoop and it allows us to see everything in three D. Uh, it's not really a traditional camera, but um, uh, but it allows us to track everything and uh, and with with great accuracy. And so we then uh, have all types of proprietary algorithms that we've developed over the years. Uh, to um, you know, to track the ball and do all the math, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was quite a heavy lift, frankly. Um, but um, but it's, it's now working really well and really accurately. So if I'm a high school um, player and I want to buy your 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 device, I you you sell it to high schools and they would install it above their um, on their backboard. Yeah, it actually would typically install it to their to their post that holds the backboard. Mm-hmm. Or in many cases, we'll suspend it from the ceiling itself, depending on the, the setup. But uh, but it, it's not too terrible of an installation. Um, everyone's a little intimidated sometimes with putting a sensor up above, but that's actually you know, not a big deal. Yeah, it sounds super uh, simple. How do you separate? Do, do you? I guess you're not coding the shooter like during a game, for example. You just know what's happening with the shot. Is that right? Uh, actually, and we do code the shooter as well. We have a. Uh, we have a game app. Uh, a lot of high schools and some colleges use this year, and we'll have many, many more using it next year, uh, where every time a shot is taking on that court, it'll take all that data and send it to an iPad, and the team's roster will pop up automatically, and you just tap the player's name. I see. Oh, so so, so it yeah. essentially just helps people. Like, the, 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 the player is being manually coded. Yeah. It's not being kind of automatically but this, I mean, this, this, this allows deal, but, this yeah. thing to be instantly usable, essentially. This is like... For something that is precise and as advanced analytically as this, it sounds very straightforward to get. And I'm not trying to promote your product. It just strikes me as this is simple, basically. One sensor and an app that people are probably using anyway, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is very simple. The installation is fairly simple once you get get the hardware in place. And then the concept is simple. Um, Right. And that is you want to shoot the ball with a 45-degree entry angle as consistently as, as your body and your mechanics and your talent would allow you to. Right. And you want to get the ball the correct depth in the basket. And, of course, we measure those things and give you charts so you can see. Um, I'll give you an example uh, real quick. I was at an NBA team uh, recently, and we had a player out doing a workout, and um, and we were shooting – that the player was shooting shots from the baseline. And, um, and as you guys know, the baseline is kind of the corner shot on each side. Sure. And this particular player from the right baseline was shooting the ball about two and a half inches to the left from the right corner. Yeah. That same player from the left corner was shooting the ball about two and a half inches to the right. Do you guys want to think about and tell me why that is? Well, it's he's shooting away from the backboard in some yeah. way. He's got the, uh, the angle. Exactly. Yeah. And he's, he's a little bit behind the backboard when he's shooting, and he's kind of airing back towards well, the court. No, he was, he was actually shooting pretty Flush, straight ahead. straight out? Okay. in the very corner. Okay. And, um, and, and basically the player – 
had no idea he was doing that. Yeah. yeah. And so when he comes over and we look at the data and I said, why do you think you're shooting? He said, I guess I'm scared to death of that. Yeah, it's like, it's like a subconscious fear of that you know, backboard yeah. or whatever. You know, yeah. That's the most humiliating shot in yeah. basketball is to like bang it off the side of the backboard. Oh, from it's the... embarrassing. Yeah. And so, but it was amazing to watch him correct that immediately. Yeah. Oh, is that, is, that, is that right? He was able, well, this is what, when you know you're dealing with a professional athlete, right? Because you say, here's some feedback and he's like, oh, okay, I can straighten that out. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, our system will actually, what we did in this particular case, we put the feedback on left-right. And so as soon as the ball gets to the rim, it'll say zero. That means that shot was perfectly straight. If it says minus three, that means that shot was three inches Okay, so, left. John, now you're talking about a different kind of feedback. So on the one hand, you can give reports. A guy goes out and shoots for a while right. and gets a report. On the other hand, you're doing this instant feedback thing. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, so, so talk, operator is receiving this. And- talk, talk to us about this. Tell us about the instant feedback. Yeah, so there's, um, you know, if you go back and look at, you know, what makes feedback really work for a player, number one, it's got to be accurate. And trust me, what we're doing is really accurate. Sure. Uh, It also has to be immediate. Right. Uh, You know, there's been some studies around, you know, giving a player feedback on something, even a few seconds later is not good. It's got to be immediate. Oh, 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 really? So that's that's taking it pretty extreme. Okay, fine. You can do that here. Literally, when the ball gets to the rim, uh, when the shot's over, we're going to say, in the case of entry angle, it might say 45. In the case of shot depth, it might say 11, 12, 13. Because here's the thing. If a shot swishes, uh, nothing but net shot, that may actually happen at 7 inches. It's and the short. player that's yeah. 25 feet away can't tell that, oh, wow, that barely missed the front of the rim. Yeah, interesting, right. And it so, felt perfect. Um, so that feedback, yeah, it felt great, exactly. You would and rather also, have it bang off the back of the rim and go in than be short and swish. That's interesting. Well, I'd like to have a proper balance of the two. Uh, you know, what we found is the best shooters and the maximizers. I see. Okay. You can have a balance between the nothing but net shots and the back rim. And the I shot. see. Okay. Got it. So one of the things you're saying about the feedback is it's um, – so part of it, this instant feedback, part of it is something you have to process cognitively if you're giving them like 45, 46, 44. But there's also this binary yes, no that's, that doesn't even have to be – process it's just affirmation or punishment one way or the other right so for example you could say we want it between 44 and 46 if you're between those two you get a binary green light or something is is right. does it have this nature as well because you could tweak it up tweak it down make it continuous make it discrete yes that's that's interesting you asked that because we have um we're actually looking into that right now of um and and talking to some coaches we've obviously this is the first full season of the product and um, and I'm getting some feedback from some NBA and college and high school coaches. It says, what would you like to hear? You know, and, and some of them would like to have, hey, if I'm between, um, you know, yeah. 44 and 46 and my depth is this, I just get a yeah. ching. Make it less precise. Like that. Make it less yeah. precise. That's interesting. Um, so you, you, so you, it's you, interesting you, as well. Some players like that very granular detail and some okay. don't. Oh, okay. So tailor it, tailor it to yeah, their preferences. And you, you'd think, I mean, you'd think at least with the sort of like left-right vignette that you talked about earlier that you'd want, you wouldn't just want a green light. You'd want to know if, you know, you're one inch to the left as opposed to four I, inches to the left, I, right? I, but no, they, but exactly. And, at the same time, they have some sense of that, right? So if you, I, basically I want, as a, you know, I, this, I, I would want both. I would want, I would like in the yeah, moment, in the no, moment right, while I'm I, just pounding shots, I want green lights and red lights. But then I want to stand back and get like the full report with the fine continuous measure. So I have a question for availability. I'm thinking I'm not a basketball player, but this has got to be every child, every high school player's dream 
to Are have this technology. Are you kidding? Is this, I'm a 49 year old man. And I want to the gym yeah. right now. So how is this? Is, is to be a lot of red lights? Is this going to be available for the home market? Uh, it, it's the the quick answer today is no. Uh, it's an issue. Oh, that's a terrible John, answer. John. Okay, how about this? Product. How about a how about a trial version for Wharton Moneyball? Just yeah, you yeah. Know, we want to we want to vet the technology. It's very important to us. <laughs> Do we got room to set up? Do you understand? We're such bad shooters <laughs> that this is going to make us. You know, the percentage change is unbelievable. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, I keep a list of people that uh, that need to have the first outdoor version, so I just moved you guys to the top. So, All right. uh, well, w- one thing we could <laughs> do is we could introduce you to the Penn basketball coach. Who is, you probably don't need the introduction, but the, we know he's analytically oriented, and this is the kind of thing that, you know, these guys are always Yeah, I actually in. spoke with a uh, with a young man that's um, like a student manager. Or, uh, yeah, they have a team. At, uh, for Penn basketball, they actually had a, a person at, um, at Sloan this year. So Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, well, so they're few smart guys around there. That's great. Well, John, um, we're talking to John Carter, CEO and founder of NOAA Basketball, working with technology to improve basketball shooting, also the winner of the startup contest at MIT Sloan this year. Can you talk to us about what that sales process, essentially innovation process has been? You've got this technology, then you've got to go to convince people. And, and, and along the way, you start adapting what you're doing to better suit the market. Can you talk to us about that process? Sure. It's... Um it's been interesting along the way. Um, you know, many coaches um, have different thoughts about technology and about what they spend their money on and those type things. Um, but we started off selling a product which had a, you know, pretty significant $6,000 or so upfront price point. And, uh, but we've now moved from a product company to a data service company. And so now we have a less upfront price with an ongoing data fee. Yeah. And um, and coaches seem to really like that. For example, a high school team can get started for as little as $2,600 right. uh, with a $100 a month ongoing data fee. And uh, we've had great reception to that. We're, we're, we're real excited. We've, uh, uh, and, we're, you know, we're going the typical route. You know, we're, we're going and doing on-site demos and clinics and things like that. We do, I think this week, we've done 30 online web meetings with coaches. Okay. Um, so we do, a, um, signal, I'm sorry, last week, I was looking at the numbers the last week. So we do a lot of those, uh, each week to help educate coaches. And one thing, by the way, is I think you'll find this statistic interesting over 90%, actually 98.8%, uh, of high school players are actually doing it right as far as the trajectory stuff. So over 90% of high school players aren't reaching their potential. At the college level, that number's over 50%, and at the NBA, it's about 25 Wow. So Interesting. All right. So, so there's just a, just a massive uh, potential for increased shooting percentage out there, and we've, we've done that with many, many high school teams over the years. John, we have a caller from Jay from California with a question. Jay, welcome to the show. Um, I just had a question. It sounds like uh, the information that it's tracking is all – once the ball leaves the hand, is there any kind of tracking or measurement on the actual mechanics of the shooter? Great question. Jay, appreciate it. Appreciate the phone phone call. John? Uh, to, today, no. What we're tracking is the ball itself. And by the way, we don't have a sensor in the ball. You don't have to wear anything. We do everything visually. So you can use a volleyball if you want to shoot it. Um, so, uh, But that is actually one of the areas that we're moving into next, is moving backwards away from the basket and do things like recognize – who the player was uh, automatically, as opposed to having to log the player. Right. Uh, also, moving back a little bit further from that, even to understand what happened 
before the shot? Uh, was that player moving to their left? Were they coming off a ball screen? Was it just a standard uh, catch and shoot? Yeah, right. And uh, to have that kind of data at that level is, um, you know, it's, it's really compelling. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would assume, especially at, like you know, at, at the professional college level where where things are so competitive, you know, it'll be really interesting once you eventually get to the point where you can kind of measure like how whether there's these sort of like left right you know kind of pulls in. in and shooters depending on whether they're being challenged or not right i mean so i mean you're exactly. i assume you're doing yep. almost all of this in a kind of an unchallenged environment right um so well, he can get yes, game he has lot, but lot you have, training training gyms right 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 you, you know talking through these high school college and pro numbers where you say 90 percent could be improved 50 percent could be improved in college and then 20 and or 30 in the nba how much of that is natural physical disposition versus how much do you think can be changed so if you went to a high school what's your sense of if you go to and and i know you you want to promote the product but what as a scientist and engineer what's your sense of how much you can move around this this the the doing it right for say a high school team sure well first off uh, there's not any solution out there that's going to make a young man young woman with it's not very talented with really poor mechanics. There's not a system out there that's going to make them a great shooter. Right, right. Um, what I mean, we it's, it's, it's we glad, I'm, I'm glad to hear I didn't miss out somehow then. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but here's what I will tell you. We have taken a ton of 30 40% free throw shooters and made them 60 to 70. Oh, wow. Um, and what happens is uh, if you take a player that maybe has poor mechanics, uh, doesn't have the, the best hand-eye coordination, if you can get them to where they're putting the ball on a fairly consistent trajectory in the mid-40s instead of mid-50s or yeah. mid-30s like we yeah. see very often, yeah. they're going to make more shots. And so our goal is to is to have every player reach their full potential, and it, that's different for every player. It might be to make the team. It might be to play in college or professionally. But uh, uh, but I'm not a big believer in uh, – I've, I've read books and different things of videos that says, hey, if you follow my system, you'll make 90%. Uh, from the free throw line and this from three it's uh, you know some of those things just uh, are, are pure marketing and uh, we absolutely can improve every player uh, the ceiling is different for every player right but one of the nice things is you give them a swing thought if you will you know with 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 free throws for example there are lots of different things you could be focused on and this gives a very clear message this is what you should be thinking about get that thing at 45 degrees um, by the way on the on the angle you talked about there. There's basically a bias uh, on depth. People, the best shooters, put it a little bit further back, and there, and therefore there's probably a bias towards not putting it far enough back among the average shooters. Is there a similar bias on on entry angle? Do, do, do people tend to shoot it too flat or too high? That is that really varies. Uh, you know, for example, the really tall players. Think of an NBA seven footer. Yeah. As a general rule of thumb. They shoot the ball too flat. Right, right. The shorter players, as a general rule, tend to shoot. For example, I see this with more female players. They tend to shoot the ball yeah, too high. Yeah, so they, they over-adjust I, for the different height. That's but so it, it, is, is that also in, in part because they've learned to shoot, in a, again, in an environment where they're being challenged, right? A shorter or player not. has yeah. to shoot higher to get it just over to the, get uh, it over their, the opposition. There, There is some of that, no question. But I would tell you just... Our, our data supports that even if a player is just standing there shooting with no no one around in the gym but them, shorter players shoot the ball higher than flatter players. And we've actually done a lot of testing with grade school kids, and um, that the real younger kids, you know, that are. My theory is that uh, 
uh, you know, the, the, the shorter kids thinking, oh, gosh, I've got to really get that ball up there high to get that to score because that rim seems so high. Yeah, right. And so they tend to shoot it to the moon. And I've, I've asked, you know, some seven-foot players at the NBA and the college level, why do you think you shoot it so flat? And I've heard comments like, I feel like I can just kind of push it right you over in the rim. Push it right in. That's right. Um, and here, here's a real quick example. Man, I, I set up a goal, uh, you know, I'm six foot two. Um, when I'm shooting on a nine-foot basket, I shoot the ball at 40 degrees. Yeah, on right. On a 10-foot basket, I shoot it at 45. Great point. Great point. John, are you a better shot than you used to be? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm 52 years old. I shoot the ball straighter today than I ever have in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because now – I know that I didn't know before that I tend to shoot the ball a little bit to the right. Oh, really? Never knew that before. You had a personal yeah. bias. Or, is that is that is that common for players to like have a bias one direction or the other, left right? I think it. Uh, yeah, I it can happen. It, it absolutely can happen. I can show you players that have a bias from one particular spot on the floor. Uh, that says, right. uh, you know, they. Well, uh, you gave us the baseline you know, example the already, which is perfect. Yeah. So, John, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Fascinating product. Wish you the best with it. Um, and thank you for coming on and telling us about it. No, thank you, guys. Hey, and by the way, go beat the hell out of Alabama this year, please. All right? <laughs> we'll do our best. All right. John Carter, CEO, right. And, CEO and founder of NOAA Basketball, basketball technology for improving high school, college, professional, men's, women's basketball shooting, winner of the startup competition at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference this year. All right, guys, that has been three quarters of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a quarter to go. Come back and join us after the break. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics every Wednesday morning. 8 to 10 Eastern. Some combination of us are here this morning. It's Cade, Adi, and Shane. You can join that conversation, one eight four four wharton That's one 942 7866 You can also email us questions, observations, whatever. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Businessradio at SiriusXM.com. We're replayed five times over the course of the next week. You might, if you hear us, drop us a note. That's a great way to reach us if you're hearing the replay. We also pick it up live, real time. Don't want to talk to Matt. Want to write him? He'll uh, he'll pass it along, and we might read it on the air, answer your questions. So, thirty minutes to go, but we're just off the phone with John Carter, the CEO and founder of Noah Basketball. That was so much fun, my that God! That was very cool. I, I was particularly uh, interested in in how come this is so, how come this works so well, and it reminded me of, um, about we had a guest some time ago who talked about. Um, uh, Learning theory, how how one learns, yeah. and uh, Erickson was his name. It was his Erickson, yeah, yeah, not Eric Erickson. Erickson, yeah. And he, he talked about how you need to have a teacher and you need to have feedback, yeah. And it has to be, yeah. and that I, combination. Really, this is, what, is what works. I think the key here is the immediacy of the feedback, yeah. right? Yeah. So you know, you historically you've got feedback. Did it go in? Or did it go out? That's, yeah. right. That's good, and it works, but. But this is so much better because you can still be biased to the right or the left, deep or, or shallow, uh, angle, not high all, or low. Not all misses are equal. Not, not all misses are equal. Not all misses are equal. And, and, and you're getting, and, you're getting and, and that's what what's happening. Yeah. Well, the, it's amazing, a total unintended connection between our two guests. So earlier in the show, we had Brendan Harris, ma- former Major League Baseball player, current front office with, uh, with the Angels. And he's talking about they're moving from outcome measures, like this guy hits a lot of doubles, 
to process measures, not not just exit velocity kind of process but measures, the plane but, of the swing, but the plane of the swing, and and that kind of insight has led to changes in what they want their batters to do. In fact, Matt dropped a note in the middle of uh, the conversation with John. He said, "Hey, Brendan's standing here saying actually the optimal plane is forty five degrees, which is really steep. That doesn't sound right to me. I would we." That's what Brennan says. Well, he 40. wants to deep in the basket. If I have to extract a heuristic. No, 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 no. no. The, the optimal plane, oh, plane for a plane, hitter. Right, right, right. For, I thought you were talking. Is 40, for, well, for, we are, but that's the connection. Yeah, the, um, so 40, it's 45 degrees. Yeah, I mean. Did you say 45 degrees? Yeah. That's what Matt said. I mean, uppercut. It, no, I think, is well, that a launch no, angle? No, no, no. Launch, that's not even right. Four, 45 minutes is not the right long tension for baseball. That's more like 30. Okay, so we, we retract you, you're, all you're, of that. You're, you're, you, you, you want an uppercut. But going back to the basketball, there is a, a simple heuristic that I think you could use for if you don't have the device, which might be helpful, which is a lot of coaches are, are, would have you have you suggest that you, the it, that the perfect shot is a swish, um, and that's what you should go for. So not all misses are this are equal, but swish is what you should keep moving. And what he's saying actually is that's not right, and that you should be aiming to the back of the basket. Yeah. And someone who's really on target is about half swishes and half hitting the back of the basket, the back back of back the, the rim. Back of the yeah. rim right. And so if I'm if I'm coaching someone, I'd be saying, and you keep hitting it time yeah. one after the other in the middle without hitting the rim yeah. at all i'm saying no you're not doing it right yeah mm. i you know that I, I remember being trained on free throws and and the one of the tips that i was given was focus on the back of the rim yeah. not the front of the rim but you focus on the back of the rim and it pushes you a little deeper yeah. and it gives you this physical thing to aim at which is he's saying as good as yeah. a swish essentially so great fun there and you know as educators we should always have our ears open for Things that uh, help learning essentially. So we don't do enough that we don't do enough yeah. enough measurement. And if we're going to really maximize learning, so for example, I teach negotiation, and they get feedback. And it's one of the great things about negotiation: they do exercise and get feedback. But can we push it deeper? Can we give them process feedback and not just outcome feedback? And that's it's yeah. hard to do. It's more that's labor right. intensive. But do, is there technology that we can use? This is just a great demonstration of. And can we get some more immediate feedback, man? I mean, I find <laughs> out how good of a teacher I am two months after the course is over with. What What if you're a bad teacher, Shane? Well, do you get I, I could correct. <laughs> do you get I mean, there are, the, I, I do get some sense of immediate feedback if somebody's got their head down on their desk or exactly. something like you do that. Get feedback yeah, I, I do get classroom. some immediate feedback. Playing so their phone don't... underneath their le- underneath the table. Oh, <laughs> that that's completely really subtle. There's no way professors notice that. No, no, we, never. <laughs> we gave you instant sartor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, half the class staring at their laps. We have no idea what's well, going what's on. What's going there, on people. down there? What are you looking at, folks? Yeah. What's between your legs? It's so interesting. Hey, oh, we gave you sartorial feedback today instantly. We did. We yeah, did. you you know, you wear a new piece of clothing from the thrift store. We're gonna let you know whether we like it or not. And review the reviews are positive. Right? <laughs> the reviews are positive. <laughs> right. Of course they are. Back to the thrift store. All right, store guys. This week. We we've talked we've talked about precious little of the sports that are actually happening right now. So uh, around the rest of the sports world, what's caught your eye? Well, the Raiders are potentially oh, moving, moving to, to Las Vegas. Vegas. That's what he comes is... up with. I was talking about Gonzaga. Oh, that caught my eye. So the Raiders thing. Gonzaga being good, that surprised you. Well, that they've made it to the Final Four. No. Gonzaga making the Final Four is a great thing. Great story. Uh, two teams from the West, Gonzaga and Oregon. That's an unusual thing. I think maybe that may be the first time. Oregon in the Final Four never yeah. happened before. No, they did. 1930s. They played once, you know, what is 80 years ago. Before Oregon the war. Made, the, made the final. Before the, between the wars. Between the wars. Between yeah. the wars. Uh, South Carolina. Yeah, that's another First one. time to the, to the Final Four. Frank Martin. He's yeah. coaching South Carolina. He, he he's uh, a beloved coach out there. He was famous for what a 
kind of a nut job he looks like when he's coaching. At least he used to completely lose it on the court all the time. We have a player, we have a, a student in our full-time NBA program who played for Frank Martin hmm. at K-State for three. He played four years at K-State. Three of those were with Frank Martin. Loves the guy. And it's great to see him have this kind of success, take a new program to the to the final. Well, here's a fun fact that I picked up from our, our buddy uh, Neil Payne on their show. If Gonzaga makes it to the final four, they will have done so without having beaten a team whose power rank- ranking by, say, Ken Palm yeah. is above 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting so question. they essentially the, just walked into but, the final but four the, without the, challenge. The thing that makes mm-hmm. that so interesting is that despite that, they, many systems have them number one. Yes, this is this is right. the, this is the beauty of that. This is what but I'm why talking about in the playoffs. They haven't played anyone over thirty. Oh, I thought you meant over the course of the oh, season. Of the course, of the season though, they they did have a few, four games or so of someone above thirty. But relatively but even light, in the, lighter... even the the path into the NCAA final four, nobody was in the in the top thirty. Now, yes, thirty in in. Uh, in the ranking systems, but in the, yeah, in the power, in the power rankings. rankings, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. So then easier walk in the tournament to this stage. All right. So, so what does that mean? Well, it depends, odds on, of winning? D- depends on whether you, so it depends on whether you think being tested matters. That's right, matters. Um, but this is one of the nice things about a good power ranking system is you can take a team like Gonzaga who might not have as tough a schedule as a North Carolina, for example, and supposedly put them on even ground in your assessment. You don't have to see them. You're going to adjust properly for opponent strength, and so you don't have to see them play the same schedule. That's right. So supposedly, so that's statistics it's, for that's, you, folks. But, that's but it's hard to do. That's and but right. but it's one of the things that's fun about this year because you've had these systems say Gonzaga is actually the best team in the country right now, and so it, you know Gonzaga North Carolina that would be that would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what are the what are the matchups? Oregon North Carolina and uh, South Carolina and South Carolina Gonzaga. Yeah. Okay. So anything you're especially uh, Carolina on to? my mind. Yeah, it could be yeah. North Carolina, South Carolina, which would be surprising and a little bit different. Did you watch the North Carolina Kentucky game? It's crazy. I mean, I've watched almost no basketball, but I watched the end of the second yeah, half of that yeah. game, and my goodness, it was, that was very fun. back and forth. A lot very of back fun. and forth. And then it, it, there's it, a lot of entertaining YouTube videos of the of, of Kentucky fans reacting to that last like eight oh, seconds no. or so because you know they hit they they, they, they hit got the tie. The, they, they finally did, got back. They, they got they got the tie, and then like with the beautiful three point shot, five or six seconds, yeah. all of a sudden it's over. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that, that, I you're do saying love it's entertaining call- because it was the pro, it was the up and down. Yeah, no, I mean, just sort of the range of human emotion and stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't really have a, a horse in that particular race, so I mean, I don't. You, you can just watch you, it. it. It was just interesting to see, and I, yeah. I mean, I've certainly lived that range of human emotion, and you know, my sports fandom as well. So okay. I can commiserate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. What about on uh, uh, another sport? So NBA. Anything interesting with the NBA right now? Have the playoffs started yet? They have not. No interest. No. (laughs) So the answer is no. (laughs) Did somebody get injured? That would affect the playoffs. Probably. So there is this question of uh, our man in Oklahoma City going to average a triple double. He's got oh. ten games left, yeah. and he's got a you know it's actually almost in the bag as long as yeah, he averages. Yeah. His points are clearly going to be above double digits, but right. the others he has to. Russell Westbrook has had such an amazing, and season. that is that is amazing. Actually. You watch, I mean, he's just amazing. He's so much fun to watch. I, I don't know how a guy could be that much faster than everybody else on the court. <laughs> I mean, he's not a small guy, and he just yeah. blows past. He has his his instantaneous speed, his acceleration is just remarkable. Um, the, what, I did see that the Celtics, at least at one point, I'm not sure if they're still there, overtook the Cavs for the yeah. best record in the East. So they're at least competing for the number mm-hmm. one seed. The Cavs, yeah. the Cavs have been on the slide. Same thing with the Spurs and Golden State. So there's not like a, as much of a clear number one 
on either side. That said, I don't think, I mean, we could check the Vegas odds. I don't think that many people believe that the Celtics will be in the finals. No, no, I mean, they're right. totally not supposed to be as good as they are, which is kind of one of yeah. the fun things about them. And um, so, but but it kind of, I guess the cynical view is it just shows how weak the East is. And yeah, inevitable. A little the bit. West winter was going to be again, but yeah. it's fun to see teams on the, on the rise like that. Making, oh no, I mean you, you, you want some amount of upward slash downward mobility in, in 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 kind of like you know the class of the NBA. I just right. You know, I think we still know who the class of the NBA is, right. and I, you know, we're all just kind of killing time until late That's June right. or whatever <laughs> when we get to see these teams play each other. Well, the Warriors have taken a comfortable lead, winning eight in a row. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Okay. So, um, uncomfortably, I think one of the biggest pieces of news in sports in the last this year is that the Red Wings missed the playoffs for the first time since 1990. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, um, that is right? an extraordinary playoff run. Yeah. It doesn't happen in any other sport. It doesn't happen in hockey even. It's just it's yeah. just extraordinary. There are people who there are people who, you know, thirty five year old lifetime. men who don't remember yeah. the wings not being in the playoffs. Men and women. Really what amazing. fraction of hockey teams make the playoffs? Well, it's the same as basketball. Practically so there's uh, thirty so teams and sixteen, yep. Yeah. Yeah. More than half. Yeah. Maybe it's thirty two now. Uh, but anyway, it's it's half basically. It, it may not have been half the entire run. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't, the number of teams has changed by maybe two in that time okay. period. So, Adi, are you, are you throwing some shade on the Wings accomplishment? Well, I mean, there's a tremendous, uh, listen, there's a continuity the right from year question. to year. It's so, the right question. Yeah. There is. Um, You're not going to see it in baseball, ever. Well, that's right. That's uh, so. certainly a much lower number of teams. Though, I mean, the pro, so how, could, how many years did the Braves win the division rule? That yeah. was like something like uh, 11, 10, 11. Yeah, that was. So that absurd. I mean, that's a that, really, that really probably, good example. I mean, that's probably more so a really nice analytical uh, question. Yeah, this but is, is that's not thirty. Which of these is well, well, <laughs> right? But give, but, Audi, give Audi a homework assignment, Shane. Yeah, you've got right. the assignment. Is, it. is it more given how much harder it is to make right. the playoffs in baseball? Is that eleven year or whatever it was eleven twelve year? Div- you know, making long? the playoffs in this a is row. A great homework, Audi. You take sometimes as impressive as this thirty year one. When you're teaching in stats, hockey. you take yeah. questions and issues from this show straight right. into the classroom, and sometimes you create test questions. This would be a great test question. Well, which considering which the years is more that, impressive. And considering the years that the Braves did it, there was no wild card, so you had yeah. to win the division. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's going to end up being that the Braves is I more impressive. I think the impressive. Braves are going to be more impressive. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, there, and for many years, it was just there were just two divisions. It was just, right. you know, what about making se- What about making seven Super Bowls in, like, 15 years? <laughs> Or whatever it is, sixteen years. <laughs> the problem is, is that the, the so the the way you, it's it's the straw man that you have to work the, the null right. hypothesis. So not if you the straw assume, man. not us. We don't like straw man. We it, like null. Well, we don't. So, need- so well, if it's if it, every year is independent, then then it becomes astronomically unlikely. But the fact is, is that but you it's don't have not. to compare against them. Well, yeah. right. You don't have to compare. Carries over. It, 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 this comparison style. between the Braves and baseball and the Red Wings and in, in, in hockey, you don't need that null model, though. No, right? I mean, no, you you're going to use it. You're going to use whatever, it for both. Right? Whatever auto correlation between seasons exists in hockey, you can estimate that. That's and right. same thing with baseball. But I mean, and, we're, we're going to the way I would imagine, as assuming there is no auto correlation, just compare them both and see what what it is. And and essentially, the problem hockey is about fifty fifty sort of randomly if all teams are equal and in baseball if all teams are equal the probability well in the early days there was only uh, you essentially had yeah, you had Shane, to win your division so that's like one in one in eight well it started off maybe one in six but isn't Shane giving a better up to one in eight a better comparison because Shane's saying find out what the average autocorrelation is so you're going to condition for yeah, I don't, that's don't much believe harder. in independence. We, yeah, we know, well, that's we why know it's, it's homework, Audie. We're not expecting you to do this right now. <laughs> well, I was doing it in my head, and yeah. then you cut me off. <laughs> I was about to give the answer, 
But it's an academic thought. I thought this was for me to do right now. I don't think you understand. I mean, I feel like you give a lot of... I was almost there. I feel like you give out a lot of homework and don't understand the term homework. Well, we don't want to be it's academic. It's been my so pleasure to do things this... on the fly often enough. I thought this was yeah, one of those. Yeah, right. but I, I, liked, I really so, like Shane's suggestion, which so, is there's some yeah. degree of autocorrelation yeah. in both sports, so you, and it's easy, trivially, actually, yeah. to, to estimate it. it yeah. And once you have that, then the comparison is very straightforward. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that intermediary calculation is very intriguing. How, what, what kind of autocorrelation do you sort of feel in, uh, between in, these in different making sports? In making the playoffs, to be precise. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously it's lower in, in So in how baseball. do you want to measure it? I mean, let's just do it in terms of conditional probability. So given that you've made the, the, year, the playoffs one year, what's the chance you make it next? Exactly. And, in, and I think in football it's the lowest. Am I wrong? There's a lot of regression to the mean of football. I can tell you that, hmm. the, that, the, that the, a season's Probably. record, if you want to ask how much next year's record is influenced by or related to last year's record, it's like .3. Yeah. So it's a lot of regression to the mean. I, I, I bet you that quote, which is not the exact same, not, but, I not the you, same. Uh, but I bet you that quote, I, I agree. I think it must be the lowest in football. Maybe because there's more there's more turnover personnel wise in football than in than there's in a lot of turnover personnel wise they do you know they they have the most sort of extreme kind of like parity inducing draft strat you know where you really do kind of. You know, like top teams, it's very hard for them to accumulate draft picks, and 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 the draft has immediate impact, right, in football as opposed to in baseball. But I think though, this is the, the complication of football is that some of the reason reason why the the low correlation is that you lose your quarterback. It's in the yeah. quarterback is so dominant. But one of the reasons why a team like the like like the Patriots can be in year after year is they have that dominant quarterback, and while you have him, every year is. Likely. Yeah, but I think the Patriots yeah. the exception as opposed to rule. It right, is no, very hard. Yeah, yeah. But if you have it, like, yeah. very very rare, and this is probably the cause of it for for the for yeah, the Patriots. Though, the mean, cause what, is Belichick. It's Patriots. So what is it? But for for the Red Wings, what was the commonality for these well, thirty five years? Interesting you it? interesting you ask because our again a reference to Neil Payne, our our friend over at five thirty eight had had a piece in February about he anticipated the Wings not making it because they were in the last place and like seven teams were ahead of them. So. At the time, it was about a 7% chance they were going to make the playoffs. So he talked about why. Like, what's been so special about the Wings? How is it that they've been able to do this for so long? And he gave credit to Corsi. He said they anticipated before others did, you know, whether they meant to do that or not. But they they chose players and built a team and had a strategy around basically controlling the puck. Yeah. And he showed a graph where prior to the 25-year run, they were average or low on Corsi. And then... Throughout this 25 years, they were basically at the top of the league for like 25 years in this, and then they've plummeted on their sense. Moreover, there's a mechanism for it because the early great Wings teams were heavily influenced by the Russian players. So mm-hmm. it must have been in the early days of freeing up the Soviet Union, the Soviet I players. I think they were able to hire them. They started coming yeah, here, and, first. and for whatever reason, the Wings jumped on this, and that, that Soviet style of play was about controlling the puck. Well, didn't yeah. their owner just pass did you, away? Did, 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 yeah. The mechanism there was that yeah. they, the Russian players yeah. had a particular style of play that yeah. happened to be yeah. now understood as critical for success in hockey. And their owner did just pass away. And Same owner as the Tigers. The Wings. And I think he was the one who sort of 
was who engineered a lot of those Russian players coming to play for yeah. them yeah, be, in Detroit. There like, must why be, Detroit? Yeah, places? right. And uh, you wonder how if they got maybe it's. The I case think it, that, I think it's more of a like a critical mass thing. So, so yeah. Fedorov, I think, was the first. I, I'm not quite sure. I'm not, uh, Sergei Fedorov was the first, and he's a very famous uh, hockey player. And, and I, I think there is, you know, once you get one, it's easier path, to get another. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah. it might be as simple as that. Like yeah, you I mean, land the first guy, then the other guys want to. I mean, come you're play. coming. I mean, back in the. I mean, these days, you know, I think things are a little bit more integrated between the two countries with regards to hockey anyway. Like, players go over to Russia now sure. to play hockey, etc. But back in the day, I mean, like, I, I think even, like, if you're a Russian player coming to America for the first time to play hockey, having another Russian there, being able to communicate, having somebody to basically communicate with and stuff like that, it's got to be a huge no, boon. It's, re- it's remarkable. And just to, yeah. as, as following... It's a very simple human thing that actually has dramatic consequences on... on Right, sports. Yeah, it would be it would be nice, especially now at the end of the run, to be nice to yeah. know something more specific about that. But we're tying it to the fall of the Soviet Union and yeah. the the breaking of the restrictions on 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 movement. And that's amazing because that really was the beginning of this yeah. run, and this is the end of that run. Yeah, perfect because now Russia's you know. Well, oh, <laughs> great hockey play! Yeah. Right? Great hockey play! Great, great, great hockey let's, play. Let's just, well, let's just stick with hockey. Uh, uh, so uh, we we mentioned in passing that. That the Oakland Raiders are scheduled to move to Lo- to Las in Vegas in three years. Well, yes, which is insane because well, they're going to play in Oakland until then. Well, the San Antonio might host them actually for a, a season. I saw. Is uh, that right? Yeah. Apparently, oh. Oakland. The fans in Oakland have said, "You're not coming back. Go to Santa Clara." <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes sense. I just think it's tragic. I mean, I forget, it is. Forget yeah. any t- any. I, I feel like any time a football team moves, it's kind of. Some kind of failure of the system, you know. Yeah, and now we've had like three teams scheduled. Well, moves this particular in the last team seems to move every ten years or so. Well, and so we we can pretty squarely blame the ownership for that. And this is just the next generation doing what the previous generation yeah. did. But I just just so it, it seems to me. I don't I don't it's I don't want to sound like some ble- bleeding heart, but you know they want they build they want fans to buy product. They want fans to be mm-hmm. loyal. They want them to commit and right. come and cheer and care. And then they do this, and it happens again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, right. why should fans—I mean, it's hard not to be just completely cynical about any promotions whenever they're so willing to walk. And yeah. I realize there are literally hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. I get it, but— Well, not- yeah, I mean, but that, I mean, that's—and this is the sort of—this is the part of sports I it is, it gives me the least amount of—or, you know, the most amount of dissatisfaction is this sort of—the the, the clear cash grab. I mean, like, the fact that— Vegas somehow Vegas. Built, built their citizens into paying for a football built, stadium. Built their citizens. It's um, on, as it's on to hotels Oakland. tax. Did you, did you catch this? This is what's paying for the it. Tourists, is, is tourists yeah. are paying for it. Sure. You know, boycott Las Vegas. Go to Atlantic City. Tough sell on that one. Have you been to Atlantic City? Yeah, I have. That's Oof. the problem. What's Oof. your sense of what it's going to be like to have a professional team in Las Vegas? I mean, setting aside the move for out of Oakland. Just Set aside the gambling Good idea, angle? bad idea? Bad yeah. idea. I don't know. Well, you, you, well, we're going to say all that bad stuff is behind us. And, no, no, no. Uh, I mean, I mean, no. I mean, okay. So let's let's change the game be. a bit. Let's 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 uh, try and remove the trauma of a team moving from its fan base, which I obviously is a horrible really, thing. Is a horrible thing. Two Las Like Vegas. if if we were to sort of expand, and and Vegas was the destination. You know, would that be such a bad thing? Well, the concern has always been the connections between gambling. Yeah, and, but I mean, I don't sports. I mean, I, I there's I, no professional my, team there. I don't. Um, my, well, my personal, I don't give a crap about gambling. That's 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 the Shane Jensen official opinion. I don't give you, a crap. You, you, what you mean, I, I mean, what do you I mean by that? You don't care if it happens. I do not you're care not if it opposed, happens. You're not you don't care if it. games get rigged or anything like that. Why would the, why would that happen any more likely in in Vegas than outside it? That's the right. argument. Yeah. Well, it's more corporate now. They, and, and, and it was a different world back in the '60s. 
Sure. I mean, I can understand historically how he got there, but I still don't give a crap about gambling at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, sure, uh, that, that that could happen. That could happen even in our current state without teams in Vegas. What's the over-under on how many years until they move back to Oakland? <laughs> 15. Fif- yeah, that's 15? about right. I was yeah. about to. Oh, I was really? literally about to say 15. Wow, I would have gone, I don't know, 23, 24, something Okay, like that. you think but it's going to be Don't you know they're going to go back? I mean, this is like watching Absolutely. a relationship. It's funny like, because Oakland is... Somebody breaks up. These and guys like, are toxic, They're going to get back together. Toxic. They're going to get back and together. And Oakland is really doing well. It's a toxic well. relationship. It's, it's a city doing well. Yeah, it's, it's getting much uptake. better. Now, they're the, losing the Warriors. The Warriors are going over to San Crazy. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. But of all the... NFL teams, this is one of the ones that's most closely connected to the geography and the place. You know, next to like Green Bay, I can't think of any that is quite, I mean, of course, New Orleans, New England, there is that, but not quite this. I mean, mm-hmm. Oakland, at small, least as super much as small Green city, Bay. But Oakland and Green Bay, they, I would put it the two. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, here, Green Bay is going to up and move to friggin' Phoenix. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, Forget it. Yeah. Never. Tragic. 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 It is really right. awful. Well, gentlemen, that has been another two hours. That has been another show, another Wharton Moneyball. Thoroughly enjoyed. Thanks to Matt Johnson, our producer, Danielle Bruno, man of the soundboard, womaning the soundboard for the first time in a while. Delighted to, to see you back in the studio. This has been Cade Massey, Shane Jensen, Adi Weiner, um, our fourth collaborator, Eric Bradlow. Um, appreciate your listening. Come back and join us. We'll be back here live. We're live every Wednesday morning. Between now and then, Enjoy your sports.